episode 261. This is Mitch Unfiltered. It's available everywhere. Subscribe on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google. Listen and rate and review us, hopefully five stars. It really helps in us securing guests. And if you're looking forward to complete analysis of what happened on Sunday to the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get it right here from me. Go somewhere FNL. Oh, good. <laughs> no, I'm not. I barely watched it, so. Oh, I, I was... watched every play. You did. Yeah, the boys and I got together. <laughs> this is after watching at 6.30 in the morning Pacific time, a yeah. Kansas City-Miami game that didn't have a good result. Nope. That took me right into the Seahawks, which didn't have a good result, <laughs> which takes me right into this recording, which is not going to have no, a good result. that's easy. So there's nothing good about this show. You should have stayed in bed for, the whole... Thanks for joining us. Goddamn day. You should have just stayed oh there. Oh, my God. Setting alarms on Sundays. And uh, what so, a mess. So you must have a story that will take my mind off of what I watched <laughs> on Fox, or I guess it would have been CBS with Jim Nance and Tony Romo on earlier CBS. this afternoon. On Sunday afternoon. Yes. Do you have a story? to take my mind oh, off it sure. that will make me laugh, make me cry, <laughs> I hope make laugh. me think. Yeah, probably not make you think. Right. A big AAU uh, ninth Ooh. grade basketball tilt. Always drama. Always. It's crazy, this AAU. Like, I'm kind of ready to be done. There's not nearly as much drama on the high school games than there is in the AAU. Or am I wrong about that? I mean, I don't know. It feels like AAU gets yeah. out of hand yes. a lot easier. It does feel that way. Yeah. feels a little more, I don't want to say bush leaguey, but, oh. you know, like the refs. I mean, we saw the score. I saw the scorekeeper flip the table over and push That's one. Right. I mean, That's right. you have more access, I think, too, because you're literally sitting on the court, whereas, you know, high school, you're up in the stands. Would and- you say that people are more serious about AAU basketball? Like they think... Oh, my kid plays AAU. My kid plays select, which means my kid's going pro and is going to be the next LeBron James. So there's more expectations, emotions at a at a at a more fever pitch in AAU. Whereas high school, it's just high school and hey, or am I off base? No, I, I think there's something there. I think there's something. I mean, you pay a lot of money for your kid pay to play. Of, you don't pay a lot of money in high school. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's right. as much, obviously. Right. But right. In high school, you know, maybe in a state playoff game, parents yeah. get. But you, you feel more separated. You're up in stands. And AAU, you're, you're, my, my feet are on the court. Like, I'm literally everyone. Just, you know, you're on yeah. the sidelines. So, yeah. so my daughter had her last game of the fall season. Okay. So they, they kinda, on the day that we record this, the Sunday. day that yeah. we record, yes, okay. and and during the game, of course, the ref kept yelling at the parents down at the other side, not ours, about chirping. And to their defense, the scorekeeper was messing up the score again. We got two going here. They forget this basket. Oh wait, now I'll flip it. Oh, I got it wrong. It was a mess. What kind of chirp chirping are we talking? I about? couldn't hear, but I heard the ref turn around and say, "If you don't knock it off, you guys are out of here," or something to that effect. Really. So, I, of course, I happened to... And this is ninth grade <laughs> girls basketball, I think it was, right? yeah, ninth and eighth. I don't, yeah, right. Right, it's right. ninth grade. So, I happened to stand up and look down because I know one of the girls on the other team. I, I know of her, and I know her dad is someone named Nate Robinson. And I've been oh, in my share of gyms with Nate Robinson. I have, too. He has trouble well, controlling himself. Nate Robinson himself. has sons... I think that bookend my son. Uh, I don't know that he's got a son the same. Maybe he does the same age as Brett. But it's but, close. Uh, yeah. He's I've got seen, one who plays high school. I've yeah. Seen, yeah. Well, I've seen them at AAU. I've seen him at AAU tournaments for years. Portland here, <laughs> yeah. yes. And he'll run out on the floor. Oh, he don't mind. He don't mind. No, he'll go right out there. He, yeah. He won't stop. He just cannot stop. He's not yelling. the coach though. Oh no, no, no. He just yells at the refs the whole okay. game. Okay. So he eventually gets kicked out of the game. Yeah. The refs kicked him out. 
The refs know who he is or don't know who he is? I, I would assume after all, you know who he is. I mean, most people who have well, kids. The refs may not have kids. I no, don't know. But, I mean, but the refs have been refing. Okay. It's the same guys. So they know they're kicking, they're kicking Nate Robinson out of the game. I think the Out problem, of the gym? He's got to leave the gym. Got to leave the gym. He does that walk of shame across the court. What if, what if he says, no, I'm not leaving? I, I don't know what happened. I've never seen that. call police or probably, something? Yeah, you probably call police. Do yeah. you know what he did to get thrown out? I know he was warned for just yelling at the refs and the score was wrong. And, you know, just the usual, just talking crap at the refs. Okay. But I have a feeling the refs are already at level red with him because they've oh. dealt. So this, it probably wasn't like if you acted that way today, you might not have got booted because they don't know who you are. Well, <laughs> not at this level, but other refs might. But you get the point I'm making. I think this was probably... I get booted before I walk into the gym. <laughs> There's somebody standing there yeah. saying, you, sir, are not. Yeah. You go to a different gym. Yeah, yeah. In fact, my son doesn't allow me into the gym. <laughs> my daughter barely allows me. <laughs> but yeah, so he gets so booted. So he gets booted. And it, First half or second half? Uh, second half. Are they winning or losing? Are you guys beating them? Or are you? Where, where are we it's, in the game? It's one of those games where our girls were down. It felt like they were just down seven the whole game. Maybe nine. So Nate Robinson's kids yeah. team is winning, yes. and he gets tossed from the gym. It felt like it should have been twenty, but it was seven. It just always felt like you know those kinds of games. Did he object when he? I mean, does he say what? What? Or does he just take his stuff, get his backpack? No, and he's walk talking. You know, it's yeah. it's not his first time being booted. I'm sure about okay. that. Okay, I've been in plenty, of, and I like Nate. I know him a little bit from the Cube days, and. He's fiery, and, and our, our coach knows him, and he walked over and said, I didn't hear what you said, but you have to, you know, whatever. Okay, it's a seven-point, I swear, just seven. We yeah. couldn't do anything. Couldn't make a shot to save our lives. Yeah. So now it's down to about, I don't know, 30 seconds left. Maybe we're down five. And now another dad is going at it with the rest. Another what? dad. On your team or on the other on team? On the other team. Oh, my God. Going at it. He's, he's already watched Nate Robinson get tossed. Correct. And he's got to be saying to himself, if Nate Robinson could get tossed, <laughs> right, I can get tossed. <laughs> and and the coach of the other team is literally telling his parents, "Shut Stop. the f up! You're going to get technicals. Like enough." And this is a tournament or a one-off game? Yeah, it's a tournament, but it's just a random yeah. three game. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's not the world championship or anything. It's just <laughs> any of these girls going to play at UConn, yeah, I, or Iowa, or I, who knows? I mean, it's, oh. it, they're a really good club, and you know, Tria Hope's a great club, and then uh, you know, uh, Elite is a great. They're both good clubs, so okay. it's right. pretty good high school player. Whatever. Okay. This guy gets booted. Not only does he get booted, it's now a technical and it's our ball. And we're only down five. So now we get two free points because of that technical. Technical is not free throws on that level. Nope. It's just two free points. Yep. Did you get two free points on, on Nate? No technical was called on He that got one. thrown out without a technical? Yep. Well, that's not fair. Well, so. They owe you two points. Well, so this is. <laughs> we're down five. Now yeah. we're down three with the ball. Down okay. three with the ball. I think we score. So I think now we're down one. <gasps> And the so so now we're down to three seconds. They miss. We get the rebound. Okay, now you tell me what you would do if okay, you were hold, the ref. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, our yeah. girl has the ball about half court with about four or five seconds left. She rears back like a baseball or softball throw. No. Well, there's only like three or four seconds left to try no, to shoot it. she doesn't. The whole gym hears this right on her arm. I mean, as oh. she's following through with one hand. So the question is, you call it. Is it a is it three free throws or is it just a one? Was she passing or shooting? Is the question. As time expired, well, no, it was about five seconds. She shot it with about 
four or five seconds left. Well, I, I wasn't there, but if she's shooting, but she ha- can, you can't definitively tell if she's shooting. She rared it. She could have been doing a baseball pass. Who knows? Right. She's at half court. About half court. Yeah. In play. Yep. Where was the rest of her team down below the basket yeah, where she could have been passing to them? Sure. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, there were some down there. I know it's a tough one. You can't definitively I say I she says she was shooting. She was just trying to launch one. And she's not going to okay. fudge. So we're down one and we should have three free throws coming. Well, they don't call it that. They call it a pass. On and the pass. It's a one and one. Okay. Swish is the first one. Down one. Tied. Tied. We were down one. You're down one. Now we're tied. Tied. One more free throw to go. Hits the front of the rim. Bounces around a bit. Falls in. Oh. Three seconds to go. They oh. come up short and we win. It was the crazy. So that dad getting kicked out <laughs> literally cost his team the game. What a genius. And at the end of the game, did the other team have more parents in the gym or out of it? Way more out. It's like a smoking section at the airport. So you guys that. win on the tech. Yeah. Kind of on the tech. Yeah, sure. One one by one. She makes the two free throws. Yep, made them both. She se- How is she not a guest on Mitch Unfiltered episode two? <laughs> she get steps her on. right up and switches the first and bat- rattles the next one home? Yeah, unbelievable. Does Hit everybody like... We were just kind of laughing. We had no business winning that game. We just couldn't make is a Nate shot. Is Nate like looking in a window or oh, something? Can I'm you sure see his he face? Is. He's probably out in the hall looking in. And, and where did this happen? What gym did uh, this happen? Auburn High School in oh, Auburn, sure Washington. Oh, we know it well. Oh, yeah. A lot of tournaments down there. Call it the old greenhouse because uh, there's these big no, giant well. windows everywhere. Yeah, and there's sun. a bunch of gyms, right? Yeah, upstairs, yeah, downstairs, downstairs, no air yeah. conditioning, oh, the whole thing. Oh, we know it well. <laughs> yeah, there's boys games downstairs. Next, yeah, I'll go. And how does Nate oh. feel tonight? Does he care? I don't think he cares. He I don't think he cares. He didn't cost the, his team that there was no points given. Yeah, but that's not what I'm asking. I don't. It's not his first time. Should you be getting thrown out of your ninth grade <laughs> kids basketball? But it probably game. happened in sixth grade and seventh grade. I mean, I've seen him get booted before. I know, but how, he can't stop. I don't know why he can't control himself in games. He's he the two-time slam dunk, three-time, two-time, what? Slam At dunk? least two, yeah. Maybe three? Yeah. You know, Seattle, we own the slam dunk contest. That's right. We sure do. It's been said many times. Oh, well, congratulations. (laughs) Crazy. That's it. That's it. Last one of the fall till now high school ball kicks off. But yeah, is his daughter a good player? Yeah, of course. She's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she hops around from team to team. But yeah, his daughter can play. She's good. She's on Tree of Hope. It's a really good club. And yeah, just unbelievable. Not one, but two dads getting kicked out. How does the. I don't, I, I don't know either. Like, honestly, my, my wife would be so freaking pissed at me. Oh, my God. If I got, if, for, I mean, forget the technical and the points. I'm a just, chirper. I'm definitely a chirper. I don't know that I was ever. Brett would probably come up here and say, Dad, you're forgetting a few episodes. I don't think I was ever. <laughs> I don't even think I was ever. Oh, I was. I don't think I was ever close as a parent in one of his AAU tournaments is getting thrown out. I've never. I, been I don't even think to. I was even warned. No, nope, I've I don't never think. been warned. I, you know who I was? I, I think I was spoken to by the coach once we got it mm. we got it i was like box out the shooter watch the shooter we got it and he turned to me and said we got it we, we got it kid. we got it right. stand down got it. yeah we're good over look, here look for the long rebound <laughs> thanks thank you we for got that, it for that we got, we got it the awesome it. tip about boxing out thank yeah. you expert we appreciate that <laughs> so anyway aau's oh, done until i guess spring or whenever it kicks off again for episode us. 261 become a mitch unfiltered patron MitchUnfiltered.com. $5 a month gets you our four shows each week. 
You've got the Peace Show with Danny O'Neill shooting the shit with Slick. You got around the NFL with Randy Mueller and the Seahawks no table, Nemhauser and Brady Henderson. It's all just $5 a month. They're all shorter shows. We release them. We kind of stagger them throughout the week. Mm-hmm. They're all about 20 to 30 minutes. They're fun. They're good. If the five bucks is a legitimate problem for you, just contact me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I'll get you set up. The point of the thing is not to, to price people out of the market. That wasn't. That was how much time should we spend on the 37 to 3 game on Sunday? Do you want to spend a lot? Of, we have the Seahawks no tables, one of the guest segments. Yeah. Brian and Brady will be with us and we'll kind of break it down, but I think we all saw I don't think you need any expertise opinion on this. Do you? I or used to you? love working at sports radio just talking sports every day for a living. It was awesome. Until the days like <laughs> Monday. Oh my god. The worst. But I'm saying you you couldn't do this. Like, you had to talk about it on the radio, right? Oh, God. <laughs> Not only did we have to talk about it on the radio, oh, you forget, we had to rewrap. We had to talk about it at 6 o'clock, and then at 7 a.m. when you're doing the morning show, you got to pretend like the people that are listening at 7 were not listening at 6, oh, so you kind of sure. start all over again. So you got to do oh. the spiel, like, at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and 9 a.m. Oh, man. You got to do it four different times. On Mitch Unfiltered, we do it none. <laughs> That's the glory of the show. That's right. Moving on. <laughs> I'll just say this, and we'll let it go until the Seahawks no table. And you will get Brian, and you get Brady. Brady was there okay. in Baltimore. You'll get Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. You get the whole thing. And we'll talk about it for 15 or 20 minutes on that segment of this show. But I'll just leave it at this place with you. Okay. Okay? They got beat by a better team. They got skunked. They're not playing well. They've got offensive problems. There's no question about it. They're still five and three. And here's the deal. They're going to play two games, the next two games. They're going to play home against Washington this coming Sunday, the Commanders. Okay. They're going to be favored, healthy favorites to beat Washington this weekend. And then they're going to go on the road and play the Rams, who, yeah, beat beat the Seahawks here in game one, but the Rams are not very good. Okay. And they didn't even have their quarterback on Sunday and what have you. All right? Here's what I have to say to you and anybody else listening. All right. Go win those two games. Just go win. Forget 37-3. to three. I don't even care if you win those games 17-16 to 16 in both games. I don't care if you win them by one point. Just go win those two games. Win the Washington game here, which you should win. And win the Rams game in Los Angeles. You're seven and three. Yeah. Then you embark upon four ball buster games, San Francisco twice, Dallas and Philadelphia. But just win these two. Yeah. Get to seven and three, and you're fine. Yeah, then you're seven and seven. And you're in the cat- <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> you're seven and then seven. Then you're in the cat. We want to win one of those four. <laughs> okay. But I'm telling you, you win these next two and you're fine. Just trust me. I know Mr. Playoffs. He's a distant cousin. Mm-hmm. Trust me, if you win these next two, Washington and the Rams, get to seven and three, play those four ball buster games, and at the end of the season, you've got Tennessee, Pittsburgh here, and the Arizona Cardinals, okay? Win the next two. Just win the next two and get to seven and three, and you're going to be fine. No matter what happens in the ball buster games, you're going to be fine. You'll forget about how you feel at this moment. I didn't say that. <laughs> All right. I just said It'll win the next two. They're going to make people like like my son today. Brett was like, oh, they're not making the playoffs. Well, yeah, yeah, they are making the playoffs. It will go win the two games that I'm talking about, and they are making the playoffs. The NFC sucks. There, there are not a lot of good teams. In fact, if you really want to get into the minutiae of the playoffs, which you probably don't, 
9-8 and eight over 17 games for the Seahawks when you consider they've lost already two games to the AFC, which you know by now from being in this room with me. If you lose AFC games, they don't hurt you in the tiebreakers. Yep. The NFC. So two of their three losses, their five and three, are to Cincinnati and now Baltimore. I'm, not, I'm telling you right now, you can hold me to this. Nine and eight Seahawks at the end of the year in the playoffs. Hmm. Okay. In the playoffs. That's great and all, but I still that doesn't mean anything. Know I mean, what I saw on the field? Yeah, they suck. <laughs> okay, so playoffs, playoffs. Well, they got beat by much. But I think they got beat by maybe the best team in the AFC, a really good defensive team, a team that's good enough on offense with that quarterback who yeah. can run around and make plays. Yeah. They got beat by a hell of a team that's playing really good at their home ballpark. It got out of control. What do you want me to th- What do you want me to do about it? I can't I can't do anything <laughs> Jesus, about it. Nothing. What the hell do you want from me? <laughs> Try to tell you. Beat the boys coming up weekend number 10 is coming up. I owe you 3 games and a password. Okay. Niners at Jacksonville, which is kind of an interesting game because that's one of those games. You know there's a couple games that the Niners and Seahawks don't both play. Okay. This is one of those games. The Niners play Jacksonville. The Seahawks play Tennessee later in the year from the AFC South. The Niners play Jacksonville because they won the division. The Niners won the division and Jacksonville won the division last year. Okay. So the Seattle has to play the second place team. So this is an opportunity. Niners at Jacksonville this Sunday. You got to pick it on Beat the Boys. Uh, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Browns at Ravens. The team that you saw yeah. on Sunday kill the Seahawks. And then the Lions at Chargers. The password is Fireside, as in... The title sponsor of our Beat the Boys, Fireside, F-I-R-E-S-I-D-E. Rick Neuheisel is guest number one. Okay. It's probably the best one of the year. Really? Especially if you're a Huskies fan. Because we play a little game. I'm not going to tell you what we play. Just listen to the Huskies, to the Huskies chatter. If you're a Huskies fan or a Pac-12 fan or a college football playoff fan, Listen to the little game I create with Rick Neuheisel okay. in segment number one. And then Jason Hamilton is back. Oh. It's a classic. The 20-minute, it's a classic. He's still around? I busted. No, he's not really. Okay. <laughs> I bust his balls. But we talked about Bobby Knight, the passing of sure, Bobby yeah, Knight. Yeah. Now, Jason was a fairly substantial player for the University of Washington mm-hmm. while Bobby Knight was coaching. Jason played for Bob Bender and coached with Bob Bender who played for Bobby Knight. So oh, there's some, there's some uh, you know. Connection? Yeah, a little bit of yeah. six degrees of, what is it, seven degrees, six degrees, eight degrees of Kevin Bacon? Seven, what is it? maybe. Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon? I think, yeah. Everybody's attached to Kevin Bacon? Somehow, yeah. And then uh, segment number three is the Seahawks no table if you want to put yourself through that. It's <laughs> a hell of a tease. <laughs> Hot Shot episode 261 presented in part by Daniel's Broiler. Here comes Thanksgiving, three of the four locations just about sold out. Les Shy, by the way, is opening an incredible remodel in time for Thanksgiving. We're going to the downtown location. $75 all-you-can-eat buffet at Daniel's Broiler. No better place to celebrate special occasions. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen 
is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza football season is pizza season, and Zeke specials every football game day at all Zeke's locations. That's Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays. $10 off of all orders, 40 bucks or more, at all Zeke's locations by using the code PIGSKIN10. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of Beat the Boys. Week 10 password, Fireside, all lowercase, one word, F-I-R-E-S-I-D-E, a thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner, and everyone who beats us wins a prize. Check out a new fireplace or garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. And the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage, my family beginning the conversations about downsizing, and it's great to have Jordan Flowers on my team. I'm in good hands. 425-890-2957 is Jordan's direct number for all your mortgage needs. 425-890-2957. This is episode 261, and it begins officially right now. Unfiltered. If they play anything like they played the last two weeks yep. against USC, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State, they are losing all four of them. That's right. Yep. Okay. Now I don't think that that'll happen. I don't think they'll play. But I'm just wondering what's what's going on now. This is two weeks. Unfiltered. Penalties. <laughs> I know. I just. You it, don't have to stick your hand. What what good is it? Why do you have to stick the guy in his in his face mask? When he comes off the line, just stick him in his chest. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 261 Hot Shot Scott is now officially underway. You've told me in the past that the most sensitive, a couple of the most sensitive fan bases in sports. Sounders slash soccer fans. They get easily riled up, right? Well, I wouldn't say Sounders fans. Just soccer fans. Soccer fans have an inferiority comp. Yeah, they they think everybody's out to get them. What about Gonzaga Hoop fans? Would you say they're a sensitive fan base? (sighs) Well, now you're speaking a little bit more regional. Okay. I think that Gonzaga, yes, Gonzaga basketball fans that are in Western Washington get a a little out of sorts when they hear a lot of bashing from like Huskies fans okay. and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I sort of forgot about another fan base. Uh oh. Extremely sensitive. And that would be the Washington Husky football fans. Oh, well, you would know this better than me. You know, I'm a lifelong maybe. Husky fan, and yeah. they came at me like I'm Art? Jim Moore. What would you do? I said this. You take a dump on them? I said, I hope the Husky fans aren't expecting a national championship with this defense. This is terrible. Something to that effect, watching that game against USC. Just trying to set the expectations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They came at me. Hard. <laughs> oh, Mike, you would have thought I was Jim Moore, a Kook fan for life, shitting on him. Well, you're a Huskies fan. But exactly. They're coming at me like I'm, like I'm a Kook fan. Or you should have seen some of these comments coming. Really? What do you think that their their main like excuse or reason was why that defense looked so horrible against USC? I mean, you could probably figure out. What would they say is well, the this reason? Well, is this is the same fan base that when they struggled against <laughs> oh, Arizona careful, State. Careful, they're going to come after you. I, I root for them. <laughs> you pay them, actually. I, I pay them. Yeah. I root for them. I went to a restaurant with my son All who right. goes there. We watched together. We came home. We yelled and screamed at the TV. Um, this is the same fan base that when they barely beat Arizona State and Stanford – 
tried to explain it to me that they were being intentionally vanilla because they didn't want to show their hand <laughs> right. to the rest of the conference because they were playing lesser opponents and they didn't want to show USC what was up their sleeve. Right. That's what you're up against. Yeah. Their excuse this game was, well, look at the quarterback they're playing against. Of course. Well, they're, yeah, they're they're super talented. Okay. Is he Michael Vick in 98? I mean, he's really he's, good. He is a really good quarterback. He's He's great. But how do we explain? He's one of. Okay. He's one of the best. I think he's one of the best college football quarterbacks I've ever seen. Okay. So I would say, so I, I don't, I don't, are you at, are you asking me to take your side no, in this I'm little just, quarrel? I'm telling you. I will just put a little, <laughs> write out a little piece of paper and slip it across the table. What you want me to say? We haven't rehearsed this. I'm so, just telling you So let you me what know what you said. want me to do here. You want me to take your side or their side? So I was looking at the stats going into the USC game and, and the defense has given up 400 yards a game. Well, the defense, we talked about this last week, came up 500 yards to a Stanford team okay. that's got a horrible oh, offense. Oh, he's on, Caleb's not on that team? How do they? Oh, I see. Yes. It's only against USC with a Heisman quarterback or has well, it happened they, previously this season? On. How about how great they were against Arizona State? Uh, they even scored on a defensive touchdown okay. to pull the game out. Right. About that big shot, yeah, I was, Scott. I was mostly talking about the defense <laughs> giving up 400 yards a game. You're, you're not wrong. I, I, not a good hold, defense, hold on, right? Hold on. You're not wrong for taking shots at the defense. I mean, that was You awful. might be wrong at the overall comment that they're not, what did you say? They're not going to the playoffs? They're not going to win the national championship. Yeah, that's probably right. Thank you. That's but, not a good defense. But hold on a second. What's right is they're not going to win a national championship playing the defense that they played against USC. But there have been instances this year where the defense has played better than that. Maybe not great, and maybe not against a great team, but there have been instances where the defense has been better than they were on Saturday against USC. And I would contend, let me let me take a, a flip, a flip the flip side of this. Okay. Are you are you making a blanket statement? They cannot win the national championship as constituted right now. They there's no way they're going to win a national championship. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that is what I'm saying. With that defense, no. Unless it's 82 to 81 or something. I mean, no, no. I don't know that I agree with that. Really, I don't know that I, you're saying that there's no chance right now, as we sit here today, of Washington winning a national championship. I would say. If they play the way they played on Saturday night, yeah, and in many cases throughout the year, right, you would be right. But I don't think they have to play a lot of defense. They got to play better, and I think they're capable of playing better because I've seen them play better. I don't think they have to play. What you're forgetting is they don't have to be great to win a national championship because once they get out of the Pac-12, have you been watching? Have you watched Ohio State's offense? Have you watched Georgia's offense? Have you even watched Alabama? I know the quarterback's gotten better. I'm watching all these teams, and, and what I keep saying to myself is, once Washington is done with Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, <laughs> yeah. if they could somehow get to the college football playoff and play some team, the, all these Pac-12 teams like Oregon and USC, they've got dynamic offenses that they're not going to see in the national championship playoff. I, I don't think. Really? I, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, Marvin Harrison is great, 
But I watch that quarterback at Ohio State. Yeah, limited. He's, he's not great. He's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I watch. Yeah, the the Alabama quarterback can run like the wind. But he's very limited in the passing. I just don't see the dynamic offenses. I I don't. I wouldn't just put a blanket statement out there. They can't win the national championship as is. That no, I don't. I don't looked, think I agree with you. I that defense looked god awful. Yes, yeah. he's very good. It wasn't the worst defense on the field that night. <laughs> Thank God. And that's what I. <laughs> th- that's my question. Yeah. That, that's a question that somebody's got to. Maybe Newheisel can answer. How can USC? I mean, think about this. The defense that we saw from USC. Now, somebody might say, Mitch, that's hyperbole. I don't think what I'm about to say is hyperbole. Okay. I think it's possible that the defense that USC has is one of the two or three worst defenses in all of major college football. Take all the major conferences. SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12. You know what I'm talking about. Take all of those teams. I can't imagine that there's one or two teams worse defensively than USC. And here's my question. Every single year, in that cockamamie recruiting season, yeah, oh, you look up, and oh. is USC not one of the top <laughs> recruits? Every single year, they're I like know. third, or they're sixth, or they're second, or they're fourth. How is it that they get anybody they want, essentially any it's, great player from California that they want? How, how could, if I was the coach, they'd have a better defense? How is it possible? They fire the defensive coordinator on the day that we're recording this. Yeah, but, you, but, you could be if you want to be. Is there any rational explanation how how a program that gets any players that they want five star after five star this five star oh. corner going to USC yep. this five star defensive tackle uh, going to USC <laughs> this five star yep. linebacker going to USC yeah. how can they have the worst defense in all of football packed with talent talent everywhere up and down the road I don't understand it makes no sense it's USC how can they not be just a good team every single year with that recruiting I mean if Washington yeah. State God love them who haven't won a game in like six months right. if Washington State had the worst defense in all of major college football like USC does, you would say, what would we, we'd sit here and say, God love, well, they just don't get the players. Right? That's what we would say. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. You can understand it. I mean, who's going to Pullman to yeah, play? What, what? Can't recruit to the Palouse. It's freaking USC. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> it's USC. How? I know. How are they so bad? It's weird. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make Dylan Johnson's Afternoon on set. I don't want to rain on his parade because the guy had 26 carries for 256 yards and yeah. four touchdowns. But I swear to God, if I were running the ball, <laughs> they didn't touch. If they were playing two hand touch and they had to stop yeah. when USC would get two hands on him, yeah. he still would have had 175 <laughs> yards. That's true. He didn't get touched. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Their defense against the run was so bad. I've never seen anything like it. It was like it was like they were playing with eight guys, nine guys on the field yeah. versus eleven. Was it not? It was. It was crazy. That's probably the same thing the boosters were yelling at the administration on Saturday night or Sunday morning, which is why the guy got fired. Probably like it's inexcusable. He's got as much talent as anyone could ever want. The guy who got fired. Are you ready for this? Okay. The guy who got fired in the last one, two, three, four, five. Would you like to hear the last five opponents? Of sure. USC? Be would awesome. you like me to go backwards from Washington back or forwards from five games ago to Washington? Let's go Washington backwards. Washington scored 52. They sure did. Cal, who can't score 20 on you and me. Well, 
Mm, yeah. Scored 49 <laughs> on USC. Utah scored 34, which was a great day for USC. Yeah. Notre Dame, 48. <laughs> yeah. Arizona, 41. Jeez, Arizona. Average, 44.8 points per game. USC has given up 44.8 points per game in the last five games. And they get anybody they want for all intents. The guys that don't go to Alabama or Georgia. Right. That stay in California. They can have anybody they want. Yep. They got the whole L.A. area. They, just they, Southern they California get, locked down. Play. I don't. You, UCLA doesn't get the guys. Nope. They don't go to Stanford. They don't come up here. They go to USC. It's, un, it's yeah, it's I crazy. Don't under, I don't understand it. I don't understand. So here's my question to you. Okay. On this, here is the question. On this episode 261, even money. If you had to bet every dollar you and your wife have in the bank, Woo. every single dollar on a yes or a no, it's a simple bet. They play Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State. They play Utah this week at home. I'll be there. They play Oregon State and Corvallis on the road. Damn good team under the radar. And they play Washington State in the Apple Cup at home in Seattle. Yes or no? Are they going to win all three games? No. Boy, you you didn't take a lot of time. There's just no way. Uh, Utah. No way? Utah and then at Oregon State. That's t- Considering the defense I just watched, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Does They're going to drop one of those. Again, I'll ask the question. Does Utah have the firepower offensively with their backup quarterback to take advantage of Washington's poorest defense? For as good as Oregon State is, DJ, whatever you say his name, Uungalele. Mm-hmm. Are they good enough offensively? USC is good enough offensively to take advantage of a bad Washington defense. We saw that on Saturday night, yep. right? Oregon is good enough offensively with Bo Nix to take advantage of a bad Washington defense. Is Utah good enough on offense? Is Oregon State good enough? I think as, as much as I, I can't believe Washington State can't win a game anymore, That's they can't weird. even beat Stanford at home. You know, that game is always – it's going to be – that game is going to be a ball buster. You just know it. The it's Apple, Apple Cup. Cup. It's going to be – it doesn't matter. It won't matter. be easy. It doesn't no. matter. Yep. It doesn't matter. So you say no. I mean, was Stanford – 50-50, no. Was Stanford good enough to drop 33 on the Huskies? Yeah. They were? Was yeah. Cal – how about Cal? Good enough to score 32 on the Huskies? You know, the mighty Cal. I mean, that's a hell of a team they got this yeah, year Yeah, well, Marshawn Lynch. And, oh, sure. Yeah, Jason Kidd. So, yes, I think Utah can beat them. And like I said, I will be there rooting for the Huskies, everybody. I'm a fan. Well, of course they can. Uh, I love them. You don't think they're winning the last I, three. I don't think they're going to win out. I would like it. I'm I not would, talking about the Oregon Pac-12 I know, title game. Yeah, just the just last three, three of the regular season. I think they go two and one. That's my prediction. Okay. I don't want it to be true. I'm telling you, everybody, I, I root for the Huskies. They go I two and one. see it. And that puts them in the Pac-12 title game with one loss. Yep. And then I'm assuming if you think they're going to go 2-1, you think they're going to lose the rematch. You've been saying that since the beginning. Since you don't want the rematch. I said that since the day they beat them. You said it like at halftime. Oh, that game. <laughs> right. You I don't want to see this guys. team again. It was like Rocky Balboa Jeez. and Apollo Creed after the first one. There ain't going to be no rematch. I don't want no rematch. <laughs> right. The two yeah. of them like bleeding, gushing blood. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. What do you? What's your prediction? The next three. Are they good enough to win the next three Are games? Are they good? Well, that's the answer. That is easy. They Will good? they win the next three games? Thank you for trying to find a way out. I appreciate that. Boy, it's the reason I asked the question, because I'm right on the fence. It's tough. It's really close to yeah. 
Mm. You're, you're in love with that Oregon State team. You've been telling me how good they are they're, for a while. They're really good. Right. I think that game is going to be... It'll be cold and foggy like it always is down there, and it's going to be a mess. They, All right. They might get by Utah. I won't answer that question, but I'll answer another question. <laughs> okay. If they go 2-1, and one, as you say. Mm-hmm. But if you're wrong about the rematch... And they beat Oregon a second time. Mm. And they're Pac-12 champions. This is a this is a major topic with Rick Neuheisel. This is what the little game is all about. Okay. If they are 12-1, and one, let's say with a loss at Oregon State, but they're Pac-12 champions having beaten Oregon twice, I think they're going to the playoff. I think they're going to the playoff. I think it's going to come down to one. There's one team I'm circling. Okay. You know, like over and over again with my Sharpie. I'm circling them over and over and over again. The team that you got to watch the next few weeks is Florida State. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Well, two reasons. Because, and I don't want to give too much, uh, I don't want to do too much of the segment that I already did with New Heisel that you'll listen to. But there is debate there's a good debate about whether a 12 and 1 Washington team would get in over a 12 and 1 Georgia team okay. or a 12 and 1 Washington team would get over get in over a 12 and 1 Alabama team or a 12 and 1 Washington team would get in over a 11 and 1 Ohio State team or a 12 and 1 Washington team would get in over a an 11 and 1 Michigan Michigan maybe? team yeah. or a 12 and 1 Washington team would get in over a 12 and 1 Texas team there's a lot of debate Here's what I am very comfortable because I'm a distant cousin of Mr. Playoffs in saying. As soon as Florida State, who's ranked like number two or three right now in the college football playoff and they're undefeated, as soon as they lose a game, and it doesn't matter what game they lose, doesn't matter what order they lose it, as soon as they lose one game, if they lose one game, they're out. Hmm. There's no way a one-loss Florida State team would get in over over they might they may not get in but there's no way a one loss florida state team would get in over a washington team that wins the pack 12 beats oregon twice yeah. and is 12 and 1 no way no way because the acc yeah. just doesn't have it right and so here are the final four games for the florida state undefeated seminoles okay okay here's the final four they play and i i hope i have this right they play miami this week oh in tallahassee miami's not good they don't know how to take a knee. They yeah. lose games by fumbling the ball away. But it is a rivalry game. They play Miami this week. Then they play in a cupcake like Northern Alabama next week. Then they play at Gainesville, oh. University of Florida. Sure. Now, they're going to be favored in that game, but it's on the road to Florida. And then in the ACC title game, probably Louisville on a neutral field. So they've got four games to go. And you're saying if they drop one, they're Any out. one game, doesn't right. matter which one, I'm saying that will put a 12 and one Washington team ahead of them. Okay. Now I can't speak to the Ohio State, the Michigan 11 and one, the Alabama, right. the Georgia, the Texas. There are others, but the team I'm most focused on as a Washington Huskies fan is Florida State. See, I thought you were maybe going to say Michigan. I'm curious to see Michigan. They haven't played well, anyone. Well, I'm curious to see them all. Yeah. Right. But they got Penn State and Ohio State in two of the next three. I, I am. That's going to be. Interesting. I am almost equally as confident to tell you that if Michigan loses a game mm-hmm. and doesn't play in the big, let's say they lose the game to Ohio State 
at the end of the year. You know that Ohio State and Michigan are in the same division of the Big Ten and can't play in the Big Ten title game. Right. So typically the winner of that game goes. The other one sits at home. Yeah, yeah. I would Again, I would say that if Michigan is the one that loses that game and then doesn't go to the Big Ten and ends up 11-1, and not going to the Big Ten championship game, I think that Washington gets in. Again, we're talking about a certain version of Washington. Right, yeah, a yeah. Washington that that loses one of these next three and then beats Oregon in the Pac-12 title game and has beaten Oregon twice in his Pac-12. That's the version I'm talking That's about. That's the now, pedigree you're talking about. Because it. there's another version of a 12-1 and team that I don't like as much, Washington, and that's the one that beats, makes you wrong, wins these next three, but then loses to Oregon in the Pac-12. Now they're 12-1, and but Oregon is the Pac-12 title game winner. Yep. Oregon goes to the Final Four. I, I'm not confident in that 12 and one Washington no. team because now they're not Pac-12 champs. Yep. And I think and there's Washington a won their game against Oregon at home, whereas Oregon would have won it on a neutral. Well, field Oregon or... would be in those situation would be in. Right. I'm not okay. even thinking about Oregon gotcha. versus okay. Washington. I just think that when the committee sits down and they look at Washington, that's 12 and one. I think they're going to ask the question whether it's fair or unfair. Okay, they're 12 and one. Did they win the Pac-12 or not? Yeah. And if the answer is no, yeah. that opens the door for Michigan with one loss, Ohio Because now you've got, let's say, let's say Ohio, let's take Ohio State, for example. Okay. Okay. Ohio State revered. Everybody loves Ohio State, sure. right? Yeah, they always yeah. love Ohio State. Now let's say they go undefeated and they go to Michigan and Ann Arbor on the last weekend of the season. They're in Ann Arbor and let's say they lose close. Ohio State loses? Yeah. Michigan, okay. Michigan goes to the. Big Ten championship game, Ohio State season's over. Right. Ohio State finishes 11-1. and one. Right. Okay. And they didn't even make the Big Ten championship game because Michigan went, right? Yep. If you're Washington and you're not the Pac-12 champion, that other version of the 12-1, and one, now the committee says, oh, we're if we're going to take an Ohio State, Ohio State didn't win their conference, Washington didn't week that. Easy con we're decision. We're taking Ohio State. Of course, yeah. See, that's when you open the door. That's I, right. See, I... That's just my belief. Now, some people might say, Mitch, you're crazy. I think you're right. Yeah, they will. For sure. That's why I, if it's going to be 12 and one, I want the 12 and one version to lose at Oregon State or to lose against Utah or to lose close in the Apple Cup and then beat Oregon in the in the championship game in Vegas that first Friday in December. If that happens, they're sitting pretty for sure. If they can beat they're Oregon not, twice. They're not good as gold, but they're, they're in good, they're in good shape. Because look, I could make a... I could give you a scenario easy where they don't get in, and that. I mean, what if what if Alabama runs the table and beats Georgia in the in the, in the yeah. championship? What if and then you get, I could put what if Florida State doesn't do what I want them to do and they win out? Yeah. So you got Florida State, you got Alabama and Ohio State, and I could. Yeah. I, I think they'll be okay. <sighs> I'm not saying they're not going to be okay, but I'm not saying I'm saying it's not a guarantee as well. Anyway, three interviews will start with New Heisel, graduate to Jason Hamilton. And then, if you've got courage, the Seahawks know him. <laughs> hey, it's time for a visit with Zeke's president, Dan Black. And Dan, there's an obvious first question here. Does your son, Hank, fully comprehend that he could have been at a national championship contender and Heisman frontrunner had he stayed at home instead of being a trader and going off to Austin, Texas? Does he understand this? <laughs> You're hitting on one of my favorite subjects right now, Mitch. <laughs> this is a this is good family uh, trash talk going on right now. Yeah, he does realize it now. He loves being a Longhorn. As you know, Austin's pretty fun. You were just down there. But 
and and he's a proud Longhorn, but he he's he's a true blue Husky too. And so you know he was twisted up last year when we beat him in the Alamo Bowl, and now of course he's loving what the Huskies are doing, and sure. Longhorns are having a great season too. But yeah, let's put it this way: the the Huskies in the family trash talk the uh, Longhorn. <laughs> Speaking of football season, last time you were on, you told us about a football promotion that you're doing at all the Zeeks. First of all, how's it going? And second of all, how about reviewing how we can participate? Yeah, no, it's going great. Pigskin 10 is super popular. People are using it. Um, and just to refresh what the deal is, is if you use the code pigskin10, you get $10 off your order. Pretty simple. The order needs to be $40 or more before the discount. So $30 after the discount. Right. Uh, but the cool thing is you can use it as many times as you want during the season. There's a limit once per day, but you can use it as much as you want. And so use it whenever you're watching a game, watching the Hawks, the Huskies, whoever. We're getting a lot of orders with it. So it's popular. So it's Thursdays. Saturday, Sundays, Mondays. Is that right? Yep. What we call it football days. So Thursday night football, of course, college games on Saturday, NFL on Sunday uh, and Monday night football. So, yeah, Beautiful. football days. Good, and, good reminder. And the code is pigskin10 for $10 off of all orders. And it's the fall and football season. So do me a favor before you go. Highlight one of Zeke's specialty beers that stands tall this time of year on that incredible menu of selections. Yeah, no, it's it's fresh hop season right now in the fall that coordinates well with football season. And fresh hop means that they take the hops right off the vine, put it right into the kettle. And so you get really a nice fresh hop feel. Mm -hmm. So we got two of them, single hill, lateral A, fresh hop, and uh, varietals, everything is blossom fresh hop. So those, those those are the recommended beers right now. That's awesome. Zeke's Pizza from Seattle all the way to Boise. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Time Taco Time Northwest presents it. You know anyone looking to do some work? Instant interviews online, compensation packages, signing bonuses, and more. TacoTimeNW.com. Richard Gerald Neuheisel Jr. 52 to 42. We expected Wild Rick. We got wild. It was like, who's going to blink first? Somewhere up in heaven, Buddy Ryan. I hope Buddy Ryan was otherwise occupied and he didn't watch any of that game between USC and Washington. His eyes would have bled oh. had he watched that without defense. And as we uh, are talking here today, Alex Grinch is no longer with a job. The defensive coordinator that was in charge of that Trojan defense is now without work. So it's been that kind of year for the Trojans. They just have not been able to get people off the field and they have not adjusted with their offense to play complementary football, realizing that, for example, Austin Jones, their running back last night had 11 carries for over 100 yards, but 11 carries because you have Caleb Williams, you're kind of forced into this. Let him play. And when you let him play, you're going, your defense is going to be on the field a lot. And Kalen DeBoer, the Husky offense, Michael Penix, Dylan Johnson took advantage. Do you think they helped themselves in the pundit's eyes 
with their win over USC, or is everybody just going to say after watching Saturday night, ah, yeah, they're undefeated, but boy, are they flawed. And they when, when they run into somebody really good, they're in big trouble. Maybe they don't belong in the Final Four. I would say it this way. They certainly didn't hurt themselves. You know, they'd had a couple of weeks where it didn't look great, at least just looking at box scores. I'm not sure how many people really paid close attention to the Arizona State game or the Stanford game, but that's a good game when Herb Street and Fowler are calling it and you keep rising to the occasion and then you salt the game away at game's conclusion against one of the magnificent players in college football history and Caleb Williams. When you do that, yeah. it helps. But the fact that they've beaten Oregon is still their feather in the cap. Sure. And uh, sure. because Oregon right now is a very popular and sexy pick for uh, most of the people around the country. Right, even money bet. You can bet yes or no. You got to bet it one way or the other right now. University of Washington wins the last three against Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State. You can bet yes, they will win all three or no, they won't win all three. How would you bet? I'm going to say yes, but I worry about the Oregon State game. I worry about the one in Corvallis that will be a hostile environment. Uh, much like we just saw with Bedlam, Oklahoma yep. State beating yep. Oklahoma. It's right. the last time we're going to play you. You guys left us high and dry. It's going to have that kind of feel. That one will be, and who knows what the weather will be when you get to uh, Corvallis uh, late in November. Nobody is the king of hypotheticals like Mitch Levy. So we're going to play a little game. Are you ready to play Captain a little hype. game? Yeah, Captain, Cap Captain Hype. Captain <laughs> Hype. Captain Hype. We're going to play a little game I like to call Who's Higher? Who's higher in the eyes of the college football playoff committee? I'm going to describe a Washington team. I'm going to give you what the Washington team will be after 13 games, okay? Okay. And then I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you six different situations, and in each one I want you to tell me who's higher, Washington or that team, okay? Gotcha. All right. Yep. We all know that if they win out, they're in the college football playoff. No ifs, ands, or buts. There is no scenario mathematically where Washington would not be in the final four if they win out. We know Agreed. that. Okay. Agreed. So let's yes. talk about a one loss. Now there's, as you and I have discussed in previous episodes, there are two types of one loss Washington teams. There's a Washington team that wins all the way out and then loses the rematch in Las Vegas to Oregon. And that team is 12-1, and one, but not the Pac-12 champ. Right. And there's the version that loses, let's say, at Oregon State and then wins the other games, goes to Vegas, and beats Oregon a second time and is a 12-1 and one Pac-12 champion with two wins over Oregon in their pocket. Okay. Right. We're going right. to use, we're going to use that one as our model version two. version gotcha. two. We're going to use gotcha. the one that loses close to Oregon state, but then wins the rest and beats Oregon a second time. So now I'm going to ask which, which of the two versions is the better one. That's right. To take to the committee. That's yes. right. For two reasons. A, you're a PAC 12 champ. And B, if in version A, two feathers in the cap, two feathers in the cap right, of Oregon, ver, ver, Oregon, Oregon yes. goes in version A, Oregon goes, you would have to yes. be a second Pac-12 team into the. So we're going to take version two and I'm gotcha. just and we're going to have A, B, C, D, E and F. So it's one I'm at ready. a time, one at a time. Version two, who's higher in the eyes of the college football playoff committee? Version two of the Washington Huskies or a Texas team that wins out 
and avenges their only loss of the year in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma. They're Big 12 champs. They're 12-1. and one. They've won one against Oklahoma. They lost one. If there's only one spot, who's higher? Version 2 of Washington or Texas in that scenario? Washington. The victories over Oregon trump the victories over Oklahoma. Given that Oklahoma just lost to Kansas, Oklahoma's struggled okay. against Oklahoma State. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. B, Alabama wins out, beats Georgia or somebody, Georgia, in the SEC championship game. They are 12-1 and the Crimson Tide with one loss to Texas at home in Tuscaloosa, but they're SEC champs. Who's higher in the eyes of the college football playoff committee? Alabama. Okay. C, Georgia. Not necessarily because it's fair. <laughs> Fair is where you give a blue ribbon to a pig. (laughs) (laughs) All right. C. Georgia wins out and loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Georgia is a 12-1 non-SEC champ versus version two of Washington. Who's higher in the uh, end of the two-time defending champ? Who's higher in the college football playoff committee's eyes? Washington should be. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm but I hedge based on the the quality of that game. If that's an overtime field goal that Alabama beats Georgia with, yeah, then I would reconsider. Okay, then I think I know the answer to D because it also involves Georgia, but it's a different Georgia. Okay. Instead of winning out and losing to Alabama in the SEC championship game, let's say Georgia loses to, I don't know, Ole Miss. Okay. Still gets into the SEC championship game and then wins the SEC championship game. Now they're a 12-1 SEC champ with a loss to Ole Miss. I would imagine if C was Georgia, then D is definitely Georgia. D is definitely Georgia, yes. All right. And C is all based on the quality of the loss. <laughs> I still think Washington should be ahead of Georgia in that scenario, but uh, given the quality of the game and how it went come played on. out, would Washington be would be a Pac-12 champ, an SEC, I, and I they understand. Would, Georgia but, would be a, a runner-up, would not even hell, be a... Con- <laughs> hello, McFly. Have you been paying attention yes, to have. the love affair yes, with I, the SEC? I, yes, I okay. okay, I've got two more for you. All right, here comes E. Ohio State wins them all except for the Michigan game in Ann Arbor. So they finish 11-1 and because they don't play in the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State with one loss at Michigan or version two of the Washington Huskies? Who's higher in the eyes of the college football committee? The Washington Huskies. Okay. We're getting somewhere because I would imagine that I know the answer to E because Michigan, I'm asking the same question about Michigan. If Michigan loses to Ohio, if you think Ohio State with one loss at Michigan is lower than Washington, then you must think that Michigan with one loss at home to Ohio State in the same scenario would be below a Washington one ahead. Okay. Washington ahead. Okay. The two Oregon victories better than anything that those two have to offer. Okay. Given what's happened to Notre Dame now and, right. and so forth, right? So now if you said to me then, Mitch, based on everything that Rick Neuheisel just told you, what's the most important single team 
in an attempt to get a one-loss Washington into the Final Four. It's a team I haven't mentioned yet. And that's the Florida State Seminoles. Because I believe as soon as Florida State, and this is why I haven't, I didn't play. The game is over. The who's higher is over. I Understood. didn't, I didn't You're include You're holding Florida. them over here right, right. like the magician right. does. Well, right. well, like I, the magician I, does. I have decided. Eyes away from where I, my hands are really working. I have decided that they don't belong in who's higher because as soon as they lose a game, whether it be Miami, whether it be uh, Florida on the road or Louisville in the ACC championship game, I got to believe any game Florida State loses the version two of Washington is higher in the committee, even if they're an ACC champ. Am I wrong or right about that? You're 100% correct. Okay. So now I'll give you the even money bet that I gave you earlier about Washington going undefeated in the last three. If I gave you the even money bet about Florida State and I said, are they going to beat Miami, Northern Alabama, Florida, Louisville? Are they going to win them all? Or are they not going to win them all? You would say what? I will take they will not win them all. Not win them all. Who's going to trip them up? Florida and Gainesville? Louisville on a neutral field? Who's going to trip them up? I love Louisville on a neutral field. Okay. But I also give Miami a puncher's chance this weekend. Okay. Okay. Depending on, again, Johnny Wilson and uh, Keon Coleman and their availability. They did not play this last week at Pitt. It sounds to me like you think... Based on I think every- the ACC is pretty pretty average. Okay. Then based on all of the A, B, C, D, E, and F, and the thought on Florida State, it sounds to me if I said if version two of Washington happens, lose at Oregon State, win the others, and defeat Oregon in a pack, it sounds to me like New Heisel would be fairly, fairly convinced that Washington would go to the Final Four in that scenario, that Washington will be in the Final Four in that scenario. I will say this. If it's Oregon and Washington in Las Vegas, and both teams have no more than one loss, meaning that Washington gets there with only one blemish, one if any, okay, that that game will be for a playoff okay. spot. Okay, Dabo, let's, uh, let's graduate to Dabo. He undressed a caller on his radio show this week. (laughs) Tyler from Spartanburg. That's right. Then he beat Notre Dame, and then he yelled into the microphone, buy stock in Clemson. You better buy as much stock in Clemson as you can. Was it a good week or a not-so-good week, reputation-wise, if you're his PR guy? Oh, I I think he swung at pitches in the dirt that he didn't need to swing at, but it, it almost humanized him. He's so Andy Griffith, right? <laughs> yeah. You just want to whistle while, while you got a fishing pole on your shoulder, right? And and to me, you got to have a little vinegar every now and then with some of that sugar. And it was okay. I really admire the guy. The guy is hanging on to old school as much as he can. He wants to keep developing players in his program rather than, you know, do the Dion cast off move. And that's, that, that's not to pick on Dion. Everybody's doing it. You know, it's right. just, right. Uh, but he really believes in development and, and development in the program. And it's, it's, it's hurt him a little bit because of who he's having to play against. So I, I give him a pass. It's a little bit of a stay off my lawn, old, old school mentality, but it showed that he's got some, some of that in him, and uh, it was a huge win. It was fun to see him enjoy it. Taco Time Northwest, Rick and I all appreciate college football people that were doing some work over the weekend. And this is the time of the show where we take a look at one or two of those people. 
And I ask Richard Gerald Neuheisel Jr., do you want to kick or do you want to receive this week? I am going to go first. You're going to go first. Because you think I'm going to take your guy, don't you? I know you're taking my guy. <laughs> I know you all too well. And there's only one guy. Okay. As a matter of fact, Taco Time of the Great Northwest yes. ought to have a, a menu item yes. named Dylan Johnson yes. Tacos. That ought to absolutely have a menu item. 26 carries, 250 plus. The guy had never been over 100 yards in his career, and he had that Four at touchdowns. Four, Four touchdowns. touchdowns. Just a remarkable job. And kudos to both uh, Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, the coaching staff there, realizing they had a hot hand in playing it. Uh, and when Michael Penix is on your team, you want to throw it. You want to get a Dunze the ball. You want to get everybody the ball, right? Yep. But when you've got a bell cow who literally was ringing the bell on this particular evening, and that was a way also to keep the opposing quarterback on the sideline, you've got to do it. And they did it beautifully. 26 carries, 256, as you mentioned, four touchdowns. Everybody around here likes to remember a game many, many years ago against San Jose State when another Dylan, last name Dylan, Corey Dylan, ran for like 222 yards in the first quarter plus an 80-yard <laughs> screen pass. I think he had 300 total yards in the first quarter against San Jose State. This was Dylan Johnson, and I knew it. I knew last night as I prepared that if I give him the choice of kicking a receive, he's gonna receive, and he's gonna take and he's gonna take Dylan Johnson. So I had um, to come up with somebody else. Of course you did. And I think you're gonna like what I came up with, even though. Your alma mater was a little bit of a victim in one of them. I'd like to tip my cap to two Pac-12 coaches that fly completely under the radar, and I watched them both on Saturday, and they both have done just a great job. Let's start with Jed Fish, not Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. Not that Jed. This is another Jed. 27 to 10 over your boys. Arizona has lost two games in the conference by a combined nine points. And they are to USC and UW. They, they've lost two games to USC and UW by a combined nine points. You tell me that Jed Fish isn't doing a hell of a job. And then another taco, you, you've talked about this other guy a lot, so you'll, you'll shake your head. Jonathan Smith must, Absolutely. must be a hell of a head coach. I mean, there's no way he's got the talent that all these other teams have, and yet... He looked good again on Saturday in Boulder. His two losses, by the way, in the conference, a combined six points, Rick. Combined six points. And let me tell you something. They are laying in the weeds. They're going to have something to say. They've got Oregon and they've got Washington yet on the schedule. Don't sleep on Oregon <laughs> State screwing the whole effing thing up for Las Vegas. <laughs> they could do it, couldn't they? <laughs> As the uh, leaders in the clubhouse of the Pac-2, they are absolutely <laughs> waiting for the opportunity to screw things up. Yeah. Yeah, both those guys have been phenomenal. The Arizona story is a great one. They're bowl eligible now with their victory over UCLA. I have a great story about Jed Fish. Go you ahead. didn't realize Jed and I used to work together no. at the Baltimore Ravens. No. Yeah, Jed and I uh, were on the same staff together. And uh, I interviewed him when I came out to UCLA. He he wanted to be the coordinator. I said, you're, you're not ready to be the coordinator at UCLA, but I'm going to bring you out for an interview so you can enjoy Los Angeles and get good at interviewing and all that stuff. So I've done all that with him and uh, very proud of him. As a high, as a as a college freshman, he went to he's he played tennis in high school. Never played football. He went to Florida, 
and he found his way onto Steve Spurrier's football staff, the fun and gun era of Florida Gator football. And he was one of those guys that was you know, just had this zest for learning and kept doing what more can I do? And Steve Spurrier kept giving him more assignments and such. And uh, during the spring of 1990, uh, I guess it was 94 or 95, whichever the OJ trial was, okay, where all the other kids in Gainesville wanted to go to Daytona Beach and wet T-shirt contests and the like. Mm -hmm. Jed Fish says, Dad, I want to go out to Los Angeles and take a tour of Judge Ito's uh, <laughs> courtroom scene. Really? I need to go and really? see the OJ trial. One hundred percent true story. So he goes out there, not realizing that it was going to be difficult to get into the courtroom. He had to get one of these yeah. lucky seventy-five tickets, yeah. right, that were given on a daily basis. Yeah. So he gets there on day one. He's only got three days allotted for this trip, and day one he doesn't get in. He said, "This won't do. I've got to figure out a way." So he you know, looks around, ascertains the problem, calls his dad. I need some money. And he goes and buys a suit and a briefcase. And the next day as the dream team pulls up, he's ready to slide in with the dream team <laughs> and walk into the courtroom and go up in, in, in the uh, true? elevator. Oh 100% true story. Oh God. And on the way up, Robert Shapiro yeah. looks at him and says, who the hell are you? <laughs> And Jed Fish says, Jed Fish, nice to meet you. I'm a little late. I'm actually with the uh, the opposition. I've got some some data I've got to get to him, but I appreciate you guys letting me ride up in the deal. Years later, he and Robert Shapiro became buddies when oh he was coaching God. at UCLA, had dinner together, and uh, he told him oh. the whole story. So Jed Fish is a hero in that he finds ways to get things done. And that's why it's no surprise to me, especially in this era of a collective, that he's found ways to raise money and create some excitement around Arizona football. And he deserves an unbelievable amount Fantastic of Fantastic story, which takes us to Rick's picks, who's back to 500. I told him last week he agreed that if he can just scratch his way out of the hole and get back to 500, it's, it's easy. It's cruising from there on to the finish line. He had Oklahoma State. He didn't even need the seven and a half points. They won the game outright for Rick Neuheisel and his minions. So here we are at 500. Now what? I am. I know your dad is saying no, no <laughs> from the heavens is saying, no, you're fine. You've gotten back to solid ground. Yes. No, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm saying, Bob, relax. Yeah. I've got this. We are going to the Big Ten in the Big Ten West where Iowa will be hosting the Big Ten East Rutgers. And Greg Schiano's having a nice year at Rutgers, but he's 108th in offense. Iowa is last in offense. It's the I bleed game of the weekend. As a matter of fact, the odds makers have the number at 28 and a half for the over under 28 and a half. Never in the history of odds <laughs> have we had a number that low. And yet it's not low enough. Not We're low enough. The under. We're <laughs> taking the under in Going Iowa under city as they half. wave to the kids. They wave. So you can go back to bed now because it's the first quarter and no one's going to score around here. It's going to be a 10, seven game book it. So explain to me why, if the committee is very much about strength of opposition and strength of opponents in your wins, how can they look us in the eye and tell us that Michigan belongs over some of these teams in the college? The best win they've got on their 
schedule so far is Rutgers. Am I wrong about that? Rutgers has three or four losses now after the Ohio State game. Who has Michigan beat of any Mi- substance at this Michigan point? has nine wins, eight of which are over teams that are ranked a hundredth or lower. So how so in scoring. So how do they tell us that it's it's your it's your resume, it's your strength of victory, and then they put Michigan number three. Or, unfortunately, how, unfortunately, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. There, there's the eye test, and and I go back to the first committee chairman, guy by the name of Jeff Long, who was the uh, athletic director at Arkansas at the uh-huh, time, uh-huh. and he said about Alabama, who hadn't played a real representative schedule. He said, "But have you seen them play?" <laughs> And so at the end of the day, we're left with that. I wish the committee would realize the power that they yield and say, we are going to force the Georgias and the Michigans into scheduling, especially when they've actually defied them by Michigan dumping a UCLA game and Georgia dumping an Oklahoma game. Those games were on the schedule and they said, we don't need to play them because the facts are that they don't, they don't need to play them. Yeah. So uh, they're kind of having their cake and eat it too. But, uh, but the games start now for Michigan when they're going to be without their resident spy (laughs) and we'll see how they do (laughs) as they go forward in the, uh, the hunger games that the big 10 will have for us. And there it is. Rick Neuheisel, Mitch unfiltered brought to you by taco time Northwest. We will speak to him next week on episode 262. Thank you, Rick. Thanks very much. See you, my brother. It's J-Flow time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, J-Flow? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Price is right. Here we go. Oh, I'm great. You're doing all right. Tough times, big numbers, challenging rates. What can you tell us about buying and selling homes these days? You know, rates are high. It is a challenging market, but it is a good market for the buyers we're working with. They are not having to compete still. The rates are elevated, but they are getting homes at prices where they're not having to elevate. So it's a good time for buyers. And real estate is always a great investment during inflationary times to hedge against inflation. So yeah, still a good time. And you were telling me before we started about Fannie Mae. Tell our listeners. Yeah. So they just came out about a week ago and uh, made it possible to buy three and four plex properties with 5% down. It used to be 25%. Now, if you're looking to buy a primary residence, as a three or a fourplex, you can put a minimum 5% down. And then the beauty is you can use the other two to three units that you're buying to use the rental income from those and use it as the income to qualify for purchasing that asset. So fourplexes, you can borrow up to one and a half million dollars now in this market. So 5% down on that and use the income from it to purchase it. So great opportunity. And for all of us who need some help, whether you're buying or selling or refinancing, we're going to call the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage because your team is the best. How do we reach you on your phone? You are calling me or texting me at 425-890-2957. And that's the direct line for Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Where would we be without them? Unfiltered. I guess that's pickpockety uh, since I've got the one one remaining steals record there at the UW. And what is it? How many against whom? Nine. 
at Eastern Washington. Oh, that doesn't count. Eastern Washington. You got to do it against a, a Pac-12 school or something else, don't you? A Pac-8 when you played Pac-5, Pac-4 school, don't you? Well, I mean, I mean, which record do you have against a Division One <laughs> opponent? I, I'm, I'm wondering. Hey, look who's here. Episode 261 continues with a bang. You know him as the man who once had nine steals in a college basketball game during the 96-97 season. And if not, you know him as the man who flooded the Benson Hotel in Portland and then escaped out the back door. And if not, you know him as the the longtime radio analyst to the Washington Huskies. And if not... You know him as the great San Diego State freshman who transferred back home because of a girlfriend, even though he won't admit it. And if not, you know him as the man who co-hosted Mitch Unfiltered in the beginning and is probably the one person most responsible for this mess of a podcast ever getting off the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. Jason D. Hamilton. How was that intro? I worked on that intro for a week. That was either one of two things. That was either the most amazing intro or the worst <laughs> intro I've ever had. I, I, and there's a big chasm between those two. I'm not sure. But yeah. Uh, Hi, Mitch. Uh, God, I, I worked uh, on that. God. It, it had to be better than when I used to introduce you with Bette Midler in the background back in the radio days. That's you know? true. That is that. true. I, uh, I don't know what's going on with that, but yeah, Bette uh, Midler, that was your that was your thing. Uh, you and the Golden Girls. Are you still doing Sudoku? Where are you? Where in the world is Jason D. Hamilton? I think people will, some people in our audience will appreciate what you did on the day before this recording. Tell everybody where you are. I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada, currently. Yes. Why? What people may not know is I, I run a region for insurance broker, Marsh, if I may say so, the largest broker in the world, uh-huh. but that's beside the point. Um, and, and so, and so I'm in Vegas for, um, a insurance conference, uh, with an insurer, uh, Liberty mutual. So that's why I am down here in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard work. Tell everybody how hard the work was yesterday. We're recording this on a Friday. Tell everybody in our audience yes. just how grueling, how grueling the insurance business was yesterday on Thursday. Well, the, you know, as, as part of the, you know, you, as you can imagine, you're sitting in these conference rooms, you know, for hours and hours and hours. And then, and then when you, when you get out, there's, you know, it's Vegas, there's things to do. Uh-huh. And it just so happened that the thing to do yesterday was, you know, a, around at Shadow Creek. Oh, that hurts. Which, uh, that really, that's painful. Which, I have never <laughs> played. That really hurts. I took you where, where did I take you? Pebble beach? I don't remember. Did Pebble I- beach. Yes. Pebble Beach. Absolutely. Pebble Beach. Played Spanish. Played Pebble. Played Poppy. Yes. Pebble Beach. I didn't take you to Cyprus. No, we talked about that. And you still you still need to do that, Mitch. I'm just going to be honest. You still need to do that. And where have you taken me so far, Jayham? Uh, Panera <laughs> Bread in Factoria. <laughs> Oh, oh, Panera Bread. In I'm fact, sorry. Can I exchange Panera Bread? No disrespect to the Panera Bread folks in Factoria, but can I trade them in for yeah. a round at Shadow Creek, please? Uh, Yeah, no. No, you can't. But uh, 
Uh, you should try, uh, but it's not going to happen. Are you still? I, I have questions. Are you still doing Sudoku? People don't maybe not. Yes. People don't know the uh, the reason I'm asking that. He would guest host on KJR for like Sandmeyer or whomever, Dick Fain, and he would sit in the chair next to me, humor me, laugh at all my non-funny jokes while he was doing Sudoku years and years ago. Still. Still at that? Still still do that on the daily, yeah, and a little crossword, New York Times crossword as well. But, yeah, Sudoku for sure. Okay. Love it. Okay. Get your brain going. Uh, when, are you rest- <laughs> <laughs> when are you restarting with Mitch Unfiltered? We're always looking for capable, old, washed-up athletes to hang out with. When are you going to do that? Uh, my jersey's retired <laughs> in, your, uh, in your media room. <laughs> All right. <laughs> with the mic... You've got a college sophomore son, is that right? And a high school junior daughter? That's correct. That's yeah. correct. My son's at UW. Yep, absolutely. And are all her guy friends scared of you, the daughter's guy friends? What do they think of you? Like if you asked Brett or Max's friends about me, they'd probably say he's the weirdest, most unfunny guy who thinks he's funny in the entire world. I think that's what their friends would say. What would... Your well, friends say about you. Yeah, first of all, let me just come on to that. Your your son's friends would be right about that assessment. So let's just let's just let's say that first and foremost. I, I don't know that they. I think they just think I'm quiet because I you know I don't really say much. But my daughter doesn't. She doesn't bring. There no boys come to my house. Oh. Right. So her friends, though, I think they would. You know, her girlfriends would just say. You know, I'm 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 quiet. I don't really. You know, I say hello, and then I go about my business and leave them to whatever they're giggling about upstairs. And does she not bring boys to the house because she's embarrassed of her parents? It's awkward. They're scared of you. Why Why don't boys come nope. to the house? So I'm going to say this, and then there's going to be people listening, and they're going to be like, yeah, right. This guy has no idea what his daughter's doing. <laughs> uh my my daughter has not shown really any any true interest of of having a boyfriend. She has, you know, she has boys that are friends, and I've met some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she's not interested in 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 dating in high school, at least to this point in her life. Okay, all right. Well, that's a fair answer. I yeah. don't know about daughters, so I don't have any idea what that's what that's like. Um, yeah. Are you yeah. are you following me on Twitter? Have you seen my only post of the morning this morning on Twitter? I have not seen this morning's tweet. No, I do follow you on Twitter, but I have not looked okay. at Twitter this morning. Okay. No. I saw an article about you in a whack magazine, and I'd like to discuss <laughs> a picture of you and Michelle. You are barefoot mm. on a porch with sunglasses and champagne. Can I get a comment about that? Were you toasting the 1972 Miami Dolphins? What exactly was going on in that picture, please? <laughs> I think Robin Leach had just left the house. Oh, uh, God. Nobody and- knows who Robin... You're the, we're the only people who knows who Robin Leach is. God. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, sorry. So since we're the only two people that know, you know, 
it's a photo shoot, right? So, they, you know, they want you to do certain things and there were shots at the house and, you know, we have this little rooftop deck at our house and, you know, it was the summer when the, sh- the shoot was going and they're like, okay, why don't we, you know, go upstairs and sort of act like you're hanging out on, on your deck. Uh, so, yeah. Why did I agree to do this interview? I just, I'm, I'm curious. I'm so curious right now. I just want to know because so often I close my eyes and I visualize, hey, what is, what's, <laughs> what's going on in the Hamilton household right now? You know, what's, what's Jason yeah. D up to? And now is this the visual? Is this, is this a nightly occurrence? You, Michelle, barefoot, sunglasses on the deck with a nice, a nice bottle of champagne. Is that like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing? Or is that a Tuesday, Thursday thing? What is that? <laughs> now, now I'm I'm really curious about something. Yeah. Because my mind is my mind is going back to your original question about Twitter. Did you post that picture yes, on Twitter? I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I wrote, I'm so I gonna hang up on you right now. I'm literally gonna hang up on you. <laughs> I I wrote that I'm getting ready to interview a big time guest, and if my dear friend Jason D. Hamilton thinks I'm not going to ask him about this picture, he would be sorely mistaken. Oh my gosh! <laughs> You are fired. Uh, oh, my gosh. Let me tell you what it says in the uh, article. Ladies and gentlemen, let me read to you a, a, a portion of the whack article on my friend Jason D. Hamilton. It says, part of the reason I transferred to the University of Washington was to help get it back to its winning ways. And I quote, I put a lot of time and effort and energy into trying to see the program get back to some glory days. And we did. A direct quote from Jason D. Hamilton. Now, I will admit Mm. that the very next paragraph says there was another reason why you came back to Washington from San Diego State. I I, I don't know you Mm -hmm. to have ever agreed. Are you finally publicly having a press conference to admit that Michelle was one of the reasons, probably the biggest reason, you left as a highfalutin San Diego, and I'm telling you, he was, he was. Weren't you the conference freshman of the year at San Diego State? Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> yes, yes, I was. <laughs> I have to say it like that because I'm wondering if it's just if I say yes, will you stop bringing it up, or if I say yes, will you keep talking about it? So it's it's a, like a lose lose scenario. If I say yes. Then you're for the next ten years going to be like he finally admitted it in 2023 after all these years. I already I can see where this is going. Or I can I can continue to say no, and you're going to ask me every time I talk to you. <laughs> what do, which, which path do you want to go? Which path do you want to go down? A or B? Yeah. Um, we're going to go with A. We're going to we're going to we're going to switch it up and say we're going to say it was uh, it was. 51%. And so now it's out 51%. It was all about Michelle. And then uh, hopefully you won't keep talking That's about it. That's it. That's it. To think that you could have done this years ago, you could have said the 51%. Yeah. And I would have, I would have had nothing to call you about. I, I would not even want you on the show. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> 
I see that. I see that. Did you nice. ever? Thank you. Did you ever cross paths with Bobby Knight? You know, I I didn't. I did not ever have an occasion. You know, it's interesting how coaching trees work. I played for Bob Bender, obviously, at the University of Washington, and I I coached with him for several years, who coached and played and coached at Duke and Indiana. So Bob Bender's a trivia question in uh, in some ways, uh, having played for Indiana and Duke. Um, But for Mike Krzyzewski, who was a disciple of, of Bobby Knight, so there was so many times in my playing career and coaching career where I would get Krzyzewski and Knight type stories about, you know, when, when Bob Bender was a player at Indiana or things that Mike Krzyzewski might say about situations that, that Knight would, would do at army when Krzyzewski was a player at army. So no, the answer is no, never had a, a personal interaction with him, but, but certainly had like, like us all seen so many things about Bobby Knight across the, the spectrum of his career. And, and that was my connection, you know, through Bob Bender to Bobby Knight. What did you think of Bobby Knight? And what do you think of Bobby Knight? The coach, the person, could you have ever played for Bobby Knight? Um, so that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I think the answer is yes, I could have. But I probably, if I was good enough in the, let's call it the 70s and 80s, to have a choice in Indiana was one of those choices. I mean, obviously they were, they were winning. He had built an unbelievable program. And so you, you think about that, you go, okay, why does an Isaiah Thomas go play for a Bobby Knight uh, when he had, you know, many other choices to play. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, Quinn Buckner and others that would say great experience, tough, obviously, but wouldn't have traded it. And then you, but those are people that are on the inside. you look at it from the outside? You go, the volatility I don't really want in my life or in, in the way that I'm trying to, to learn the game of basketball and win as a team. So I, I would say, yes, I could have, but I probably wouldn't have selected it. No. Was he a great coach? I mean, I thought back in the you know late 70s, 80s, his contemporary would have been like Dean Smith and John Thompson and those guys. Yeah. He was a little bit after John Wooden. Yep. He was kind of a little before Mike Krzyzewski. And I always thought of Bobby Knight as a better basketball coach than Dean Smith. Smith won more games. I think Bobby Knight won more titles. He was a a great defensive coach. His teams passed the ball like no other teams and moved without the ball on offense like no other teams did. I don't know that his his style would have worked today with today's player that's coming out of high school. But certainly back then... I don't know. To me, it was Bobby Knight and John Thompson were the best in those days. I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, you can. I think the focus is always on his temper or I I shouldn't even just say his temper. He's known for some of those theatrics, throwing the chair, you know, staring at refs, crazy press conferences. But I think from a pure basketball standpoint, he was one of the better coaches to ever do it. And I I think that's proven out in his record and his titles and, and all that. It's just, you know, getting to that process. And part of, I think, the way coaching has changed is the coach had so much control over every aspect, every maybe the game wasn't as as intuitive and as natural as it is today, more free flowing. It was sort of, this is our system. This is what we do. This is how we win. And he was great at getting his players to to buy into that Mm. and and win that way. Mm. 
Well, yeah, he was a complicated figure for a lot of reasons, a tragic figure in a lot of ways. Let's talk UW basketball. And if I'm being honest, yeah. there's probably as little excitement around this team preseason as I can ever remember since coming to town. And there were some low, low moments in all these regimes. Mm -hmm. People are assuming, they're walking around assuming that Hop is a dead man walking would not be here if it weren't for how expensive his buyout was. I don't know if any of that's true or not. There's a new athletic director. You and I have talked about this for years, the last couple of years. You look at the roster, and it's hard to become familiar with anybody on the roster because mm -hmm. it's always new guys coming without the, you know, out having to sit out, the transfer rule. So very few guys are yes. here, back-to-back -back years. So you, you can't, none of the guys resonate with anybody. How do you look at this smorgasbord of, of players that they have at UW this year? Well, let me just first start by saying I think that's an accurate depiction of sort of the, the lack of connection. And it's not just the University of Washington. It's, it's, it's across the college spectrum right. when you have so many transfers coming in and out of schools and very few, you know, sort of main holdovers that are the anchors to your program, right? Typically these days you, you might have a freshman or a sophomore that continues to, to grow up in the program for, for Washington. It's a Corin Johnson, a local kid who's now in his, his sophomore year. Right. He's the one person that people might have name recognition with locally that then now is still in the program. But when you have, you know, seven new transfers from literally all over the country, you know, Rutgers, Nebraska, Kentucky, all, all over the place, Fresno State. You have to sort of see the product and get to know the guys a little bit uh, before maybe you, you want to buy in. And I think the same thing happened last year where, you know, there are seven or eight new faces. Some were known faces, um, um, but still seven or eight new faces. And, and maybe not that level of connectivity. So winning cures everything, but we're still in a situation coming into this year where there's some new faces. The, the fans are going to have to see those guys play and compete and get to know their style, uh, not to mention Hop's changing that style. But who are these guys and what do they bring to the table? And so I think it's going to take a, a few weeks, a few months for, for people to really start to connect and, and see where they go. Is it too early for me to ask you, are they more talented? Are, is this group... I mean, you start with Brooks, who might sniff an NBA roster someday. They've got this point guard mm -hmm. from Kentucky. You talk about Corin Johnson. Some of the names I recognize. I recognize Big Frank and that other, the other big guy, Braxton. Um, Braxton Mia, yeah. Christian King, I know because I know of his dad, and my son used to play a little against and with Christian King. How about Quincy Pondexter's cousin? Yeah, so that's Wesley Yates. Um, he's he's out right now with an injury. He's been oh. you know dealing with that for for some time. So he did not play in the exhibition. Um, I I don't suspect, uh, but have not heard whether or not he's far enough along in in his recovery to play against Bellerman or not. Uh, so we'll we'll see you know where that where that stands. Uh, but certainly. Like you said, so there's a couple of names, and 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 Keon Brooks obviously is the one from last year, but Severe Wheeler, the Kentucky point guard yep. transfer, yep. smallish at five nine, but you know a guy that really sets people up. So to answer your question, you know, I, I think what this team, how this team is constructed, is better than how the team was constructed last year. I think last year you had a glut of wing players, and you had too many guys basically that were the same guy but no one that 
really excelled at that role. And so this year, at least you have deeper bench in each spot and the pieces fit together better. Will they be a better team? I hope so, but they're they're at least constructed better. Got a bunch of guys. You said, you said Kentucky, Portland, Lamar, Fresno state, Nebraska. So if you take Brooks and Wheeler out, Mm -hmm. who's the third best player on the team? I would say, Best is hard, but, you know, obviously you leave Braxton Mia out, who I think is can be dominant at 7-1 with a, with a wingspan, and he proved that last year that, you know, he yeah. can he can score it. Yeah. But I think the person that, that is going to be the most consistent scorer in, in the rest of the group would be Moses Wood, uh, oh, a transfer yeah. from Portland, because he had six, at 6'8", he can shoot the three. He's, you know, this is the one thing about this team is they're a mature team. They're a veteran team. Um, but he's the kind of guy that's going to float to the spot, and when he gets open looks, he's able to knock down those open looks. So I, I, I really enjoyed watching him in the uh, in the exhibition against St. Martin's uh, last week, and you don't necessarily get a great sense of of how wash, how good Washington can be in that game against St. Martin's just because they they were quite honestly overmatched, and so you know St. Martin's really couldn't compete on, in the lane or you know just physically. But I thought that from a spacing standpoint and the way that Moses Wood would get to his spot and that the fact that he was able to knock down shots was, was encouraging. The other person is honestly is Corn Johnson. Corn is a lightning rod in terms of he can score in bunches. He can also be wild yeah. at times and, and turn the ball over. But in terms of getting you a bucket when you need a bucket, he's a guy with the ball in his hands that can create on his own. So he's somebody else that I would say is, is somebody else to watch uh, as this year progresses. How many years are you doing the radio now? I think this is 22. So year 23, they'll be in the Big Ten. Yeah. Are you going to do it in year 23 in the Big Ten? I don't know. That's a lot of travel. I don't know. There's two things at play there. A, they got to want me back, right? That's A, always A. Uh, And then B, whether or not I can just, I can physically make that work with, with my work and family schedule. You know, it's pretty easy getting getting up and down the west coast in the pac-12 schools but the big 10 you know the way that they schedule and, and that'll be also something that'll be interesting mitch is will they schedule differently uh as a league with four west coast schools in that mix right we're so used to travel partners in the pac-12 and you know being on the road and uh one week and at home the next week and that's not how the big 10 does it that you can play at home on a Tuesday and on the road on a, on a Friday, or it's a bit more random. Will they take that into consideration that people are going to have to go a long way? It's not just Washington or Oregon, USC and UCLA going East. Those schools East have to come West too. So that, that all needs to be figured out. Uh, It's very, very different than football. If this is your last year, will there be like celebrations at each of the places that you go? They'll pull out a, like a rocking chair, they'll sit you down, they'll give you a gift <laughs> at each place as you go through the Pac-12 season, or no? They don't do that. Yeah, no. You know. <laughs> well, for what, one, I would have to actually announce that it would be my last year, which I'm not going to do because, you know, there is a, a, a chance that I would, I would do a Big Ten season just to see if I could make it work. But then, two, even if I did announce it, um, no one cares. Would you say 51%? (laughs) 51%. 51%. And then after that, no one cares. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Jason D. Hamilton. He's probably got to get off the phone now and do a very grueling insurance business on some beautiful golf course in Las Vegas. Thank you, Jason. It's great to visit with you. Say hello to your wife, Michelle, your kids. I miss you. Will do. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Here we are again with Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on again. It's nice to have you back. Football season in full swing. That means a few things, like it's time to evaluate your old fireplaces, chilly temperatures around the corner. Question, how do I know if I need a new one? Is it appearance, functionality, or both, John? It's probably a little bit of both. We always talk to people about, hey, how long have you had this fireplace? You know, what's your usage on that? Just taking a look at it. If it just doesn't look like it's doing what you want it to do, call us up. We can have one of our service technicians come out and do mm-hmm. a quick evaluation, give you some recommendations. And if that fireplace is and it just needs to be refreshed, we'll do that for you too. If it needs to be replaced, they'll hook you in with one of our sales staff and we'll get that taken care of for you. Is it a little more complicated if I want to incorporate a fireplace into an area of my home that's never had one? To be honest, yes, I think it's a little harder, but it's not a full remodel. You have to kind of decide on what you want. If you don't have a fireplace and you want to do something freestanding, mm-hmm. have that done in a day. If you want something framed up, be there and kind of be part of your room, we can help you with that. We have contractors that can help you with that. We can look at the fireplaces and see what you would want. And then we can hook you in with the contractors that do the tile and other things that are available. So I know you want us to come out to one of your showrooms. I'd like to know about the reaction to that newly remodeled Bellevue location, John. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, inspiring for all of us. Uh, I love people to walk in and see that first fireplace we have in there. It's a fireplace that has glass on all four sides. It's almost like a floating fireplace. Wow. You'd be wowed by it. But uh, yeah, just come on in and be inspired and you yeah. could be a kid in a candy store. <laughs> John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, just a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting partner of our fourth annual Beat the Boys competition this football season. Where would we be without John and FiresideHomeSolutions.com? She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand... There's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay, I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. But I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. Okay. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that traded attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Mm -hmm. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down 1%? I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm -hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 30, I'll say the 31%. 
So they're actually up 24%. Oh, go, go for two. <laughs> so you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really, there's only a handful of stocks wow. that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's oh. a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the if the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this okay. year. Okay. So I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. Up the middle and right in the end zone. Once again, it's Gus Edwards. As Mitchell breaks it, there's that speed. Mitchell to the end. Well, this was about as unfamiliar as we can get here, uh, coming out here east and playing a game on the road like this and then uh, not being able to play football where we need to. Seahawks No Table Time presented by Taco Time Northwest. Always looking for new members of the team, by the way. Perks, compensation packages, even signing bonuses for some jobs, for some positions. Access to nearly instant interviews on Taco Time NW.com. Wow. Wow, guys. It's hard to sit down after that ass whooping. 37 to 3, one of the worst losses in the Pete Carroll era. 515 yards of offense for, for the Ravens. 151 for the Seahawks. And I suppose we should start with the Hawk blogger himself, Brian Nemhauser, who for patrons on Friday morning said. The Seahawks are going to come back from Baltimore with a victory. Not exactly what we were looking for. Where are we, Brian? You know, Mitchie, uh, there's the 17th hole on the <laughs> Soquami Ridge. I've got a good buddy who missed his tee shot so bad he was all the way on to the 15th tee box. <laughs> Had to chip over the trees onto the green. I think I might have been farther off on this one than he was on that. So, yeah, I... Look, I think uh, I think got to almost go back to what I said after the Browns game more than what I said after picking this team. You know, this was a team that has played the one of the easiest schedules in the NFL up until now. And by all accounts, is supposed to be playing one of the hardest the rest of the way. This started that stretch. And oh, boy, if this is any indication, it's going to be a little bit of a time before the Seahawks uh, taste victory. So. Tough, tough, tough game. I'm not sure how much there was to learn from this game. And I think that there's a lot of people that are going to be looking to blame one position and one player in particular. Right. We'll get there. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about it. But uh, this is just a game where the thing we learned the most is Baltimore is a damn Brian, good Brian, before team. I get to Brady, what was the most startling aspect? There was a lot, a lot there. But what really took you aback? What really surprised you? I guess if I had to pick one thing, it was that the Seahawks could do absolutely nothing on offense, that there was nothing working for them. And that included trying to run the ball a little bit, it included some short passes. And right. I guess if I, now that I have a second to think about it, the game plan, 
the game plan is what surprised me the most from Shane Waldron. There were not a lot of quick passes built into that. And again, they did not lean on the run that much. So I felt like this was an odd game plan, especially considering how much pressure that offensive line gave up all game. Brady, normally I would start with you by asking you, why did they lose the game? I I don't think I'm going to ask you that, Brady, because (laughs) uh, you you might miss your flight uh, tomorrow to get back to Seattle. Just uh, observations from somebody who was there in the press box and watched the whole thing go down in Baltimore. Well, I, I will take the same question that you asked, Brian, and, and tell you that to me, the most surprising thing, look, as bad as their offense was, and it was terrible. That was one of the worst offensive performances we've seen uh, from Seattle over the last, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven years. It was their actually their fewest yards in a game since a, a 2017 game at Dallas that they actually won, despite only gaining uh, like 140 yards or something like that. But at any rate. The most surprising thing to me uh, was actually on defense and how badly that defense got ran over to the tune of uh, 298 yards. And remember, this was one of the better run defenses in the NFL uh, over the Seahawks first seven games. And so as bad as everything was on offense, they didn't defend any aspect of Baltimore's offense well between their standard running game. You know, Baltimore had two running backs that uh, averaged over 10 yards per carry. Gus Edwards, 10.4. Keaton Mitchell, 15.3. Obviously, when you break off a 60-yard run and a 42-yard run, that's going to bump up the averages. But they didn't do that well. They didn't defend Lamar Jackson scrambling well, which, granted, not a lot of teams can do. He had uh, 60 yards on 10 rushes, and and he completed 21 of 26 attempts. He didn't really kill them through the air yards-wise, but they couldn't really stop him. And so this defense just did nothing well. I think most troubling uh, most surprising, at least, was their run defense giving up almost 300 yards. And Brian, that comes the first game after they added a defensive tackle that we're all so excited about. Man, you want to you want to look up the definition of pouring ice water on a on a fun story? Go out and play the way they did as a unit in Baltimore after Leonard Williams was acquired over the week. Yeah, I I see it. There's no way you can argue with the fact that giving up 300 yards rushing is not good. So I'm (laughs) not going to make that case. But interestingly, that didn't stand out to me as much because I felt like the game really eventually got away from the Seahawks. Uh, Like it, it didn't take that long. The first quarter, they held this Baltimore team scoreless. There were a number of drives where they actually got three and outs or they they basically forced the Ravens to punt. We're looking pretty good. And then, you know, it got to be 14, nothing, 14, three and then 20. Like it just got to the point where. I don't know. I don't know that it would have mattered that much. And it was hard for me to really focus too much on how the defense was playing because they got less than nothing from the offense. It was just a total so, terrible game by the offense so, that, that just didn't give them a chance. So the natural next question to both Brian and Brady here, Seahawks no table presented by Taco Time Northwest is how do you react, Brady, to something like this? Do you make changes? Do you make personnel changes? Do people... Uh, get demoted from first string to second string? Do new people get opportunity? Do you change scheme on some level? I don't know how much you can do that in a week. Or do you just toss it out the window? Did you get the feeling that everybody was ready to get on the plane and leave it behind in Baltimore and just go out as if it never happened when you faced the Washington Commanders uh, on Sunday? 
yeah, I think that's what they've got to do. And fortunately for them, they do have, uh, you know, a, a pretty favorable rebound opportunity next week against a commander's team that, you know, sold two of its best defensive players at the trade deadline. And they're clearly not competing this year anymore. This was terrible. And in terms of offensive or on either side of the ball personnel changes, I, I don't really know what else you could do. I mean, they're sort of playing everybody that they have that you would think would be, you know, maybe an alternative that uh, there's just not really any clear, any clear move to make there. I know you're probably alluding to quarterback. No, um, no, uh, not yet. Anyway, I'm going to okay. ask about quarterback, but as an example, the offensive line, now, I don't know what changes you can make on the offensive line, but you know, when you sit and watch it on TV, Brian and I are sitting and watching it on TV. You're at the game. You see more of what's going on. When we get to the quarterback conversation, I'm going to ask the question that I always ask as somebody who watched it on TV, which is, are there people open? Are these the right plays? Where's the quick hitting passing game? Uh, is the offensive line, what other quarterbacks have done better under the same set of circumstances than the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks? Or was everybody covered? And there's no protection in the offensive line, and there's no running lanes and running game, and you're in third and ten and third and twelve and third and fifteen all the time. You know, what's the issue? I don't know if you can make changes along the offensive line, but do you try? Yeah, I, I just don't know if anybody is a clear upgrade over what they've got. I mean, they're already sort of playing two guys at right tackle. Uh, Anthony Bradford has been okay. Uh, he's been sort of up and down. Uh, and maybe they look to work him in at one of those guard spots like yeah. they are at right tackle. But I, I, how big of a difference is that going to make, really? I mean, to, to answer your other question, there was really one play where it seemed like he had a receiver open. It was, I think, late in the first half during that sequence that they bungled where he went to Metcalf and sort of short hop to throw in the end zone to DK. He, I think he might've had, I'd have to look at it again, but he might've had Lockett open on that play, but there weren't a lot of at least plays that stood out to me as boy, he, he missed that guy. It seemed like there were plays where he was holding onto the ball a little bit too long and, and took sacks there. But I, I don't know if he had guys open down the field. There was one play where I was, you know, it looked like he was doing the same thing where he was going to take another sack and then he hits DK Metcalf for that 50 yard gain to put them in, you know, a, a decent scoring position. I think that was also late in the first half. And then they, they didn't really do a whole lot with that. So yeah, I mean, this was a tough day and as much heat as there is going to be on Gino and mm -hmm. some of it, a lot of it deserved. Right. He just didn't have a whole lot of time in this game and they, they did not, this was not a good game at all for their offensive line. Brian, before we go back to Gino, because that's what everybody is complaining about on social media. And that's where the, the center of conversation will be all week. Let me ask you about Charles Cross, the mm. left tackle. They spent a very high draft choice on him. We're now in the middle of the second year. The grace period is over. Are we seeing what we expected to see when they drafted him? Is he good enough? Are we starting to wonder whether he's just not a quality left tackle and it's a it's a bad pick high in the first round. It all gets back to expectations. And if your expectation is at the number nine overall pick where he went, you're looking for a Pro Bowl level left tackle. I don't think there's any indication that Charles Cross is on a trajectory to reach even that. I'm not talking all pro best of the best, just a Pro Bowl player. This guy looks like he could potentially be a, an above average starter, but he is wildly inconsistent. He is not held up against the best. I know everyone really loved his game against Miles Garrett last week. Uh, you know, I haven't looked that closely to say, but no, I, I don't think that he has earned 
earned anyone's faith that this guy is going to be a very good left tackle. And in fact, I think their best tackle has been out the entire year. Every single player on that offensive line was giving up pressure one through five. Yeah, and and I think Cross was called for a false start, as was Jason Peters. Uh, Evan Brown had a holding penalty and then negated one of their best runs of the day. It was pretty clear early on that this was going to be a tough game for them uh, offensive line-wise, and you would have liked to seen them switch gears more. And we've seen them do that in games where it's clear in the first half that the pass protection is just not holding up, and you go to more quick game stuff, and you get the ball out quickly, and you take some pressure off of those guys. And it didn't seem like there was much of that or at least enough of that. Part of the problem is when you're going three and out on every possession, you just don't really have time to, to do much of anything. And so maybe they wanted to do that. But I, I thought that was not so much game plan wise, but just adjustment wise. They came up short there. I want to ask you guys, both of you pick any quarterback, however many quarterbacks you want. How many of them would put, have put up 20 points or more? behind this offensive line in this game. It's hard for me to say without knowing whether the receivers are open. Brian? Based on what you saw. I, I mean, don't know. Patrick Mahomes, maybe? I, I, I don't know. Again, if there's no receivers open, no, the answer is zero. How, how are they scoring if, if they're not getting separation and the scheme's not good enough to either get wide receivers open or get rid of the ball faster? If, if truly nobody's getting open and the wide receivers have an issue uh, on the Seahawks, then the answer is nobody. I think there absolutely were some plays where Gino missed some pre-snap reads, got fooled by a defense. Maybe there were some quarterbacks that would have seen that, made better adjustments pre-snap. Okay. Okay. I think there were some throws that were off. Uh, but to your point, Mitch, it's not just the pass protection. There was no space on Sunday for them to get any run, go run game going either. So there just was nothing going on here that I think – you can really say, hey, just switch the quarterback to the best quarterback in the league, and all of a sudden yeah, you got something. Yeah, yeah, and true. you don't even have that option, by the way. It's true. Brady, as it comes to Geno, there's really only one opinion that matters, and that's Pete Carroll's. And Pete Carroll made it very clear after the game on Sunday that this is not on Geno. This is not a Geno problem. This is a, an other stuff problem expand on what he said yeah it was kind of interesting because early on in his post-game press conference he, he was asked back-to-back uh, -back questions about Gina one was sort of a specific one about you know what can you do to help him out more and then I followed up with the question is just general question as it gets what did you think of Gino's day and he went out of his way to defend Gino and say I, I think the first words out of his mouth uh, were I don't think this is about Gino at all. So he was clearly trying to deflect the blame, perhaps sensing that, you know, the line of questioning was indicating that th this was on Gino. And that wasn't the point, but he certainly went out of his way to try to shoot down any notion that there's any sort of consideration uh, about making a quarterback change. Now, what's interesting is that the fact that this game was a blowout that provided a, a pretty simple cover for them to pull Gino. I mean, this was the final score was 37 to three. It was 37 to three midway through the fourth quarter. And the other think, team and the other team pulled their quarterback. Right. right exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. That's what you seem do. You see teams do that in late and blowout games. Right. And if, even if Carroll would have been asked about it afterwards, he could have easily said, no, we were just, there's no point in having him out there. There's no point in risking injury in a game that's out of hand. He didn't even do that, which I think between that decision and 
the way he went out of his way in the postgame press conference, it's almost like he was doing anything he can to avoid that becoming a conversation. Now, does that mean that he is nowhere near the end of his rope with Geno Smith's turnovers? That may be a different question. I mean, he did say that somebody has to follow up about after he, you know, took the heat off Geno Smith, somebody has to follow up saying, okay, well, what about the fact that he's turned the ball over eight times in the last four games? And he said, yeah, that is a concern, but he also didn't blame Gino for the strip sack. Any reasonable person would say that that's at least partly on the pressure and maybe the quarterback can do better to sense that pressure, but that's not a, a something that's totally on the quarterback. I do think though, and even you know, going back to the interception against Cincinnati, which may have been Metcalf's fault. Okay, so let's say you take away those two. That's six turnovers in the last four games. That's still a lot. And there's also plays like there was one on Sunday where he nearly gets picked. There's plays that are close to being turnovers and probably should have been had the defense caught the ball. There's there's you know at least one other play like that. And so Geno Smith is not playing well. There's there's no two ways around it. I, I mean. Look, I know that he he has played well in spurts, but by and large, you can't continue like this. And look, it's there's there should be no consideration, at least right now, of going to Drew Locke. That's not what you do when you're five and three. And up until this game on Sunday, you were in first place in the division, by the way, because he led a great drive last week and threw the game winning touchdown pass. But if if this continues, it's that you don't have a great fallback option. But I also don't know if you can continue turning the ball over at this rate. Here's the thing. I want to be clear about two things, actually. Drew Locke is not a better quarterback than Geno Smith. Right. I do not believe that to be true, and I think a lot of folks would agree with that. I think there's supporters that might feel differently, but that's how I see it. It is also true that if the offensive line is going to give up pressure on 50% of the snaps, 45% of the snaps, Geno Smith is not your quarterback. He is, he, he is a quarterback designed to run a functional offense, largely from the pocket. And if you're under pressure in this game, Drew Locke would have played better, I think, than Geno Smith because he would have done some off script, random scrambling around, maybe would have used his legs to get some yards. So if that's the type of team you're going to end up having uh, built around a crappy offensive line, which I don't recommend, by the way, then maybe you do need to look at somebody else. But I don't think that really helps lift your ceiling. I just think it helps give you another way to lose. Yeah, and, and that's that's such a monumental decision that you would make to bench your starting quarterback who you just paid, you know, seventy-five million, or you just gave him a three-year, seventy-five million dollar deal over the offseason. It's not like you can quietly, you know, reduce a wide receiver's playing time and, and mix in other guys there. I mean, it's there's no hiding from that decision. There's and I don't know if there's any coming back from it. I mean, you bench a guy, that's national news. It's every sort of question is about Geno and, and the focus is on Drew Locke. And it's just not a decision that the Seahawks could ever take lightly. And so that's why I don't think that they are anywhere near that right now. But I also think that Geno Smith has to play better or else that is going to eventually become a legitimate conversation. I will say, guys, that what Brady said went through my mind as I watched on Sunday into the fourth quarter when there were still seven, eight minutes into the fourth quarter and I was asking with my sons, isn't it time? I mean, just pull the guy from the game. It, it felt like, and I, I might be making a mountain out of a molehill, Brian. It felt like Pete Carroll did not want to see Drew Locke go in there and throw a touchdown pass. That's the last thing in the world that would have helped the situation. If he's not at anywhere close to making a change, all he needed was on a day where they were just stymied offensively for Drew Locke to come in there and lead a touchdown drive of 80 yards and punch the ball in and celebrate a touchdown. And then, then 
The vulture, if the vultures aren't out now, then they're really out. I thought the exact same thing, Mitch. Like, I actually texted a couple friends. I'm like, watch Drew Locke come in here and get a touchdown against prevent defense. And the content and discussion is. for days is going to go downhill. So I don't know if Pete is, is, is that Machiavellian in terms of thinking about how to avoid those situations. But Geno Smith had 13 games, 12 games last year where he was uh, a passer rating of 90 or above. 13 if you count the playoff game against 49ers. He actually was uh, above 90 in that one. He's had three games above 90 this year. And I don't know if he if he did it every other game the rest of the year. I don't think he can match what he did mm-hmm. last year already. So he has dug himself a big hole. I agree with Brady. He's not playing well. I just think that people are fixated on that. You make change there. Guess what? You are still in the exact same spot you're in because there are other problems. I think Shane Waldron needs to get more scrutiny than he is getting. I think the run game needs to get more scrutiny than it's getting. Brian, how did uh, Leonard Williams play? What's his grade going to be on your BFF PFF this week? I thought Leonard Williams played pretty well. I thought he was disruptive in the chances he had. Um, I I thought that my guess is his grade will be in the 70s. I think Leonard Williams played pretty well. I think his grade will be in the 70s. I thought he got in the backfield a couple times. First game, we'll see how it goes against what was a very good offensive line for the the Ravens. And Brady, what'd you make out of how they used him and how they used the three guys? I was watching that for the first several series. Draymond Jones, not in the game, the first, I think, two series of the game. He was not in the game. They went with Jaron Reed, and they went with Leonard Williams, and they went for the most part with Daryl Taylor on the outside and Boye Moff, at least in the first couple of series. What'd you make of how they rotated and what they did with those guys? You saw a little bit of kind of what we talked about, about how it's you mix him in there where, you know, they've been in a lot of two down linemen defensive fronts where it's it's Reed and uh, Draymond Jones and they sort of mixed him in into that and then they also did some stuff where it's more of the classic 3-4 look where you've got all three of those guys on the field at once so I'd have to go back and look and see how he played I, he was credited with two tackles had a really nice uh, play where he got into the backfield on a running play and, and didn't make the tackle but I think disrupted the timing enough to yeah. uh, force that to be a, a you know a short gain if any gain at all so we got to see I, I they probably didn't want to overplay play him in this game and and I don't look he's he's not an every down player anyways seemed to play a lot to me seemed to play a lot to me I'll wait on the numbers to come out Uh, Brian um, was Daryl Taylor exposed again on Sunday he was there was a number of plays I saw him getting sealed Uh, he was trying to keep the edge but it it, it didn't matter in this game I actually thought that the guy that stood out to me in a bad way was uh, Draymond Jones he got absolutely pummeled a number of times in the run game, absolutely flattened on his back. And so he did not have a strong game. I thought Bobby Wagner did not have his best game and looked a little slower in this game where he's yeah. been able to uh, look pretty good in, in most of the others. Brady, to your eye, does Reek Woolen look like the same player as he was a year ago with the same speed? As he had a year ago. You know, I haven't noticed like the speed drop off and and maybe part of that is there haven't been as many of those, you know, deep downfield plays where he, you know, makes up five yards in the last, you know, like second where the ball's in the air. He's made one big play, you know, the interception last week against Cleveland. Um, I I think it's kind of taken him some time to get his feet under him. Remember, he missed a lot of time uh, over the summer with the knee injury. And then he missed, I think, a game and a half with the chest injury. And remember, this is 
still a young player, not just a young player in his second season, but you know, he only played cornerback for a couple of years in college. And so he is the kind of guy where missing those reps, uh, all the reps that he has, I think that's different than a veteran missing those reps. So I think it's just taken him some time to sort of get settled in. So Brady from Baltimore and um, Brian Nemhauser were left to pick up the pieces, 37 to three. I said to Hotshot earlier on in this episode of Mitch Unfiltered, go out and win the next two. Go out and win the next two. Put this behind you, even if you win 17-16. Beat the Washington Commanders where you'll be a favorite at home on Sunday and then go to Los Angeles and avenge the earlier season loss and beat the Rams. If you do that, you will be 7-3 and and two of your three losses will be to AFC teams. I have a great friend in Mr. Playoffs. He's actually a second cousin once removed. And he told me, <laughs> get to get to seven and three with two losses against the AFC North, and you are in rock solid position in a very bad NFC where a nine and eight Seahawks team at season's end will be in the playoffs. Now, what that means to you. It's just another year where they go into the playoffs, slip in and lose early. I can't help you with that. But go out and beat the Commanders and then beat the Rams. And then you've got that four-game killer stretch. Two San Francisco's, a Philadelphia, and a Dallas in that four-game stretch after the two games that you need to go out and win. The question is, do we even want to go down the path of Taco Time Northwest? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Admiring somebody who did so. I can't wait. All right. Taco Time Northwest always applauds those that love to do some work and are always looking to enhance their teams across the Pacific Northwest. Brady Henderson, who seems eager, who was doing some work either in this game or somebody over the weekend who was doing some work. Sure. Well, there there might have only been one player who was actually doing some work uh, for the Seahawks in this game. So I'm going to leave that to you guys. Oh, uh, I'm going to go completely Boy, off the board. No, Mitch, I'm not going to go with any of my editors at ESPN.com. I'm not going to go with any of the great what stats kind of people. Game did Bobo I'm not going to go with Jake Bobo either. <laughs> I'm going to go completely off the board. OK, and I am going to uh, say Larry Stone. The Seattle Times columnist. This ah. was the last game uh, that Larry uh, will cover before retiring. I think some point uh, this coming week. It's too bad that the Seahawks couldn't have sent them out on a on a, you know, <laughs> with a better game to cover. But that is what it is. Look, Larry is uh, at least as long as I've been alive and, and reading sports columns in Seattle. He's the best columnist uh, this city has had, and he's probably one of the best Seattle has ever had in an era of hot takes. Larry has never been that kind of guy. He's always been measured and respectful and he's probably the best pure writer uh, of any sports writer that I read. And uh, it's been an honor to share the press box with him. The Ravens sort of did a cool thing early in the game where they um, made an announcement in the press box and everybody gave Larry a a round of applause. So Larry on this day on Sunday uh, and for the last 27 years, he's been doing a lot of work, a lot of taco time work. Brian Nemhauser. Well, I love that. I uh, definitely read a lot of Larry's work over the years. And I, I was going to take Jake Bobo just to give <laughs> give uh, Brady some hassle because Jake Bobo was smart enough to not get involved with this game. But I'm also going to go off book. I'm going to leave the one Seahawk who I think deserves to be called out for Mitch if he chooses to do so. I'm going to go to the other team. 
I'm going to go to Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. I am incredibly impressed, not only with the makeup of that defense, but the actual scheme they run. I think it is. I think it's the best defensive scheme going right now. I think it's innovative. I think it's smart and I think it's damn tough to beat. So I just have to tip my hat across the field to Mike McDonald for the Ravens because he was doing some work. See, I'm feeling a little bit insecure because you guys keep saying you're leaving the one guy to me and I'm like frantically trying to figure out who's the, who <laughs> who is that who's one, guy? the one guy. Who's the guy that's guy. had a sack in six well, straight games? He had a good play. Did he have a great day? I don't know. Was he was he all world in this game? I guess you're talking about Boye Mafe. He did come come through with a strip sack and 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 covered that ball and is that who you're talking about, Brady? I'm that assuming is, that's Ryan. yeah. I mean, okay. who All else? Right. All right. Well, I gave him one last week. I guess I'll give him one another. I could give you. I could give the Washington Huskies and Dylan Johnson 256 yards on 26 carries on what a game on uh, on Saturday night. I could give him some doing some work. But all right, I'll go Boye Mafe. By the way, any injuries that I need to know about, Brady? I know that. Uh, who went out with a it looked Derek like Hall? Hall. Yeah, yeah, Hall went D- out with the shoulder, right? Yeah, and DJ Dallas too. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. Carroll didn't really have much of the way of specifics afterwards. Didn't know how serious DJ Dallas's shoulder injury is, and he just said that with Hall, it appears that he reaggravated the shoulder injury that he was dealing with uh, over the off season. There it is, the Seahawks no table. Like it or not, we'll be back with you this week for patrons. Brian's taking a little trip, a little voyage. He's got to get away to get his mind cleared after what he saw on Sunday in Baltimore. It'll be uh, Seattle and Washington renewing that rivalry. There is no rivalry, but I'll just say it. <laughs> renewing that rivalry on Sunday afternoon at Lumen Field. Uh, Brian, Hawk blogger, uh, thank you very much, Brian. Thanks, Mitch. And Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. Thank you, Brady. Travel safe home. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. Here we are together again with Lindsay Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler, and it's hard to believe, Lindsay. It feels like yesterday we were playing golf in 80 degrees, and now, bam, Thanksgiving is here, and Thanksgiving, to me anyway, always reeked of Daniel's Broiler. Hey, Mitch, yeah, Thanksgiving is here, Seattle fall weather is here, but it's Daniel's time of year. It's uh, what better place to be in this kind of weather? What better place to be on Thanksgiving? We've talked before. It's our busiest day of the year, and uh, we're pumped. It's coming up. So where are you? I know you're pretty much booked at most of the locations. We're going, actually, we're trying something different. The Levy family is going to the downtown Seattle location and the Hyatt, your newest location for the buffet. Yeah, you're right. We book up fast, like we've talked about before, and we're pretty booked up at uh, at the other three locations. You might still be able to find a spot here and there. But, uh, you know, the downtown location, it's our newest. It's also our biggest. So we've got lots of tables. And uh, at this point, we've still got lots of spots open. And I'm glad you're going there. The cool thing about that one is it's buffet style. So that's the only place where we do an all-you-can-eat buffet. We've got everything you would expect for Thanksgiving. We got turkey and stuffing and gravy and mashed potatoes and yams. But then we, you know, we're Daniels. So we've got a carved prime rib, carved smoked ham. We've got oven roasted salmon. Uh, We've got it all and it's all you can eat. So why wouldn't you? $75 at that location, 80 at the others. That's right. That's right. And the less shy location, the original Daniels broiler. 
How many years ago? 40, 50 years ago? Yeah, we opened in 1980. So let's, uh, that USC math, I think it's, uh, let me get my second hand. Yeah, 40, 43 years, is that right? And it's reopening because you've gone through a major remodel at the original location. It's opening like Thanksgiving Day, right? Yeah, seriously. And it's it's the first time that uh, we've done a major remodel. We've done carpet and replaced furniture and paint and, you know, things that you do. But this, we've basically just wiped it out on the inside and redid it. It's going to look completely different, but of course, still have the same awesome views, even better views, because we're we're, uh, making some changes to the windows to make the view even more accessible. So yeah, I can't wait to see. It's going to be great. Daniel's broiler for the the holidays and a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered World Class Steakhouses. Unfiltered. Other stuff segment, episode uh, 261 of Mitch Unfiltered. You following this Bill Bidwell Jr. story? No. The Cardinals guy? Yeah, the former Cardinals exec, who's his brother. He's the brother of the NFL team's current owner, Michael Bidwell. Oh, oh no. my God. He got no, a, what did he do? a fight with his wife. Oh. She beat the shit out of him. Oh. The cops show up. He's bleeding. Oh, There's God. video of it. When Police did this video. Happen? You can see the, the officers responded to his residence around 6 p.m. on June 9th. Oh. It's just coming out. What a downer that I, is. I know. Following a report of domestic. De- he even told the cops, do not arrest her. Arrest me because she's not going to be happy about being arrested. Like, you, you think? I mean, this guy's scared to death of his wife. It's crazy. He had oh my blood. God. She took a, a allegedly took a glass of beer and hit him over the head. Oh my god! A mess. Anybody know what the fight guy. was about? No. Um. Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, would you like to hear? No, not really. Carpet installation. It's always about a big major <laughs> crisis. I know. It? God, about carpet installation. Carpet That's, installation. Yes. Something made her. Uh, fit to be tied, and uh, we're, we're laughing. Uh, I mean, it's domestic abuse, yes, that, but good Lord, everybody. Calm down out there. So she ended up getting arrested and went to jail, and they had to, like, hog tire and carry her. She was putting up a fight the whole time, man. He, yeah. he picked one, so good yeah. luck to you out there. Do we need to spend 120 seconds on the team that we're most scared of down the stretch for the Huskies? Do we need to spend two minutes on the Oregon State University Beavers in Corvallis? Probably. After their win over your boy, Coach Prime in Boulder, Colorado, do you realize that Oregon State has lost two Pac-12 games at Washington State, who now can't beat anybody, yeah. and at Arizona? Do you know the scores of those games? No. Oregon State lost 38-35 to at Washington State by three and 27-24 at Arizona. Yeah. Other than that, they're perfect. <laughs> They've lost two games by six points. They beat Utah by two touchdowns. Utah. Yeah. They beat UCLA by two touchdowns. I'm just saying. And they're going to face both Washington and Oregon. And I know the Oregon game for them, they got to go to Eugene. So it's on yeah. the road. Yeah, yeah. But they get Washington and Corvallis. And before we just, we all make our reservations and our our hotel accommodations at the Aria, before we all do all that. <laughs> yeah. Oregon State's got something to say. They play both teams. For sure. Yeah. And that Arizona team, I mean, we sort of laughed a bit when the Huskies, you know, struggle. But Arizona's not not that bad of a team as we thought. And they, what, beat Oregon State by three, you said, I think? Yeah. 
That Oregon State game, that, that's why when you said the 3-0 and with, yeah. man, I don't see it. I think they go 2-1. and couple other things. I think I need to tell you that the Texas Rangers won the World Series. I didn't feel like I was going to have to tell you that, but I'm oh. alerting you. I'm giving you the information. You know why? Because it was the least watched fall classic in recorded TV history. Nobody watched. So yeah. I, I should tell you, I don't know if you've know if if you're aware, <laughs> Texas won the World Series. It averaged 9.11 million viewers, less than the 9.79 million of the 2020 series when the Dodgers beat the Tampa Bay Rays in six games. 23% decline from last year's series in terms of viewership when the Houston Astros beat the Philadelphia Phillies. I've got an idea. If Rob Manfred calls you, the commissioner of the uh, Major League Baseball, okay. if he calls you on your cell and he says, Do you, can you give me Mitch's number mm-hmm. for some advice? Yeah. Do me a favor. Don't give him my number. Okay, fine. But just give him my message. All right. Why are you playing games on Friday nights? Why are you opening the World Series mm. on TV on Friday night? Nobody watches TV on Friday night. Memo, nobody has watched TV in America on Friday night <laughs> since Dallas ended <laughs> in right. 1984. Right. All right? Yeah. Nobody watches TV. Why is Major League Baseball putting the game one of the World Series at like 7.30 Eastern time on Friday night? You want people to watch? Put it on a night where people watch television in their home watching television. I mean, if you're trying just to just an idea from Mitch, it's not the worst. Don't one you've give ever him had. my number. If you if you're trying to go after a younger fan base, which I know they are, they're just trying to speed the game up, you know, because our kids, they're not gonna, most of them aren't going to sit there for three hours and watch a baseball game. They're just not. No, they're just not built for it like we were. Friday night during the fall, there's other stuff going on for kids. I don't know if you're aware. I'm aware. Okay, maybe don't kick it off on a Friday during the fall. They're all doing stuff for the most part. Isn't it interesting that the NBA doesn't play the NBA finals on Friday nights? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the Super Bowl yeah. is never on Friday night? I know. Isn't it interesting that college football's biggest games typically are not on Friday night? Has has anybody in the league office that's making like 500 grand, can they say to the commissioner, hey, maybe we shouldn't be playing on Friday night? Yeah. How, how about television executives? It's almost arrogant to think that they can just put it on when they want and people are going to watch. Friday night? It's the World Series. People will watch. No one's watching TV on Friday night. By the way, if the Rangers aren't annoying enough to everybody, I read that, you know, Bruce Bochy got everything kicked off with a congratulations speech, praising his team, the whole thing. They dumped bottle after bottle of champagne and butt on each other, pausing only to make sure they sang a song from Creed. What? Creed, a song called Higher. I guess that was their unofficial postseason anthem was a, I see, a song by effing Creed. I see your Ugh. I see your Creed annoying <laughs> Rangers and I raise you. I'm going to raise you something that makes them even more annoying. Okay. There have been whispers in and around baseball's biggest free agent in history of the sport. Yeah. Oh no. That he has a new favorite landing spot if it can be arranged. The Texas Rangers oh. are number one reportedly on Shohei Otani's wish list. Remember when we thought, oh, he'd like to come to Seattle, the Asian community. Ah, yeah, ah. right, right. Ichiro. He wants to go here. to Dallas. God. Uh, yep. We can just all not watch next year if that According happens. to the New York Post, Otani's three preferred landing spots include the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, but his favorite, if can be arranged, the Texas Rangers. What's going on? I don't down know why there? he likes Texas so much, but he does. Well, I mean, but did he say that before they won it? I mean, does he like how management yeah, spends yeah. money? I he, guess. Yeah, yeah. And, he did. No, well, yeah. 
mean, they did spend some money. To... A lot of okay. money. Yeah, so, they bought that championship. Right. Yeah. So he might be looking they at proved, that going, all right. They proved to other teams around the country that, hey, if you spend during the offseason and go out and get some high-priced free agents, how does, maybe how does that work? It, it works out for you. It does. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah. People like to talk a lot about that. I wasn't sure if that works out or not. There was a... Um, there was a piece in on CBSSports.com ranking because you know as we release this show, free agency in baseball starts this week. They're going to start wow. signing. I don't know that Shohei's going to sign. I don't yeah. know how quick that's going to be, but all these free agents are going to start. You're going to start turning on the TV, and this guy's going there, and this guy's going there. Don't expect Seattle to see Seattle that much, but <laughs> they listed the top like 50 free agents. Okay, they ranked them like yeah. one to 50 on CBS Sports, and they put underneath each ranking what their batting averages are and all their numbers and who will be the front runners yeah. to sign them. I can't wait to see. And so I just scrolled until I found a Seattle Mariner <laughs> Yeah. and scrolled and scrolled Yeah. and scrolled. And I found a few, but not very many where CBS sports thinks that the Mariners are going to be in play and they're all DHs. They're all old DHs. Oh. So do you know Justin Turner, the guy with the big red beard that used to play for the Dodgers, yeah. that played for the Red Sox? He's only 38. He had <laughs> he, he had a 276, 23 home run, 96 RBI year as a 37-year-old in Boston. He's on the Seattle list. J.D. Martinez is a young buck. He's 36. <laughs> 271, 33 homers for the Dodgers last year at age 36, 103 RBIs. There's a guy named Solar in Miami. He's 31, 250 with 36 home runs. These are all DHs. Cody Bellinger might be on the, not Cody Bellinger, the other guy that I mix up Cody Bellinger with. Jock Peterson, I think, is on. Okay. The Mariners. So the Mariners are being tied to DHs and cheap first basemen. That's who they're being linked to on these uh, on these sources. That's how you get better, right? Going well, after thirty-eight-year-old DHs. That's how you. Turn I would it think around. he should be able to have a DH. He can play any position, right? Just get like a softball, yeah. beer guzzling, <laughs> right. one of these guys that just hits the ball out of the ballpark. That's right. It'd Can't be, nice. be that hard to find, can it? I would agree with you. No, it shouldn't be that hard to find. All right, it's official. Your buddy Jeff Bezos is packing his yeah, bags, moving back home. Leaving Seattle, going. Uh, he's he's a Florida man now. Well, he's a. I think he's born and raised. Is that right? I think yeah. he's a Miami born and. I'm I'm pretty sure he I think was he born might be and right. Raised. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going back to his own stopping ground. He founded. I uh, envy the man. <laughs> you want to be a Florida man? He's once a Florida again? man. <laughs> he uh, founded it in Seattle in '94, I think. Amazon and yeah, had, had some pretty good years in the city of Did Seattle. He? Did he make Did any okay. money? Yeah, he's going to take it with him apparently. And yeah. Take it out of our community and move to Florida. And now, I, does he boat to Florida from here, or does he? Uh, they do love. Does the, he get on a flight? They love the open seas. Him and that girlfriend of his, don't they? They're always does on enormous sit, boats. Uh, does he sit to coach in that Alaska nonstop <laughs> to Fort Lauderdale that I take yeah, all the I'm time? Sure. He sits on coach. He's plenty of coach yes. seats for him. Yeah. So goodbye to Jeff Bezos. Good luck to you. I wanted to tell you that on Thursday night in the NBA, you know, you're a big NBA fan. There was a game between the Spurs and the uh, Phoenix Suns. Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah. Your old buddy used to play for the Sonics. He did, yes. He had 28 points and six rebounds in a game against the San Antonio Spurs this past Thursday. He must be 35, 36 at this point. No. He's not that old? Why would he be that old? I don't know. I feel like he's been in the well, league. Maybe he is that old. Been in the league forever. Are you curious as to why I'm telling you about a 28.6 <laughs> rebound game from yes. Kevin Durant and a regular season game, NBA game against the Spurs? Are you wondering? Sure. Are you curious? I'm very curious. Well, it's because of the other guy that played in that game. Oh, who people say plays like Kevin Durant. The guy for the Spurs, you're going to say. 
Yeah, a guy named Victor Wembenyama at mm -hmm. 19 years old had 38 points, 10 rebounds, and two blocks in that <laughs> game. And by the way, blocks became an official stat in the NBA in the 1973-74 season. Okay, That's the first time that they actually counted blocks. Since then, there have been three teenagers. Oh, boy. That have had a game with over 35 points, 10 or more rebounds, and two or more blocks. Victor Wembenyama becomes the third teenager since 1973 when they started counting blocks to do that. Is this a stump the band question? Who would be the other two teenagers that had at least 35, at least 10, and at least two in an NBA game? Kevin Garnett. Very close. Look, he never did. Kev it. No, Kevin is the first name. Okay, but not Garnett, the second name. Really, there's yeah. another Kevin. Yeah, his name is Durant. I just talked to you about. Yeah, it. okay. Besides, he Sam had 42 <laughs> points. He was 19 when he came in the league. Well, yeah, he came after his freshman year at Texas. Wow, that's right. I saw his last college basketball game with Sandmeyer over there in Spokane. He played his last game as a Texas Longhorn uh, in Spokane Arena. Of all places. I'm pretty sure about that. Okay. Kevin Durant, 42 points, 13 rebounds, and two blocks in the 2008 season as a teenager. I guess that would be with the Seattle yeah. Supersonics. I saw his last game as a Seattle Supersonic. Were you there at Key Arena that I night? Uh, I don't know that I was. Sad. I don't know that I was. Just a sad, yeah. sad thing. So we're missing number three then. Yeah, well. Moses Malone. No. Have I heard of this person? Yes. He was pretty good. Came out of high school. His name is LeBron oh, yeah. James. 38 points, 10 rebounds, 3 blocks in the 2004 season. The 3 blocks part kind of got me with LeBron James. I don't I probably could have figured that out that he would eventually get he 3 blocks. He came up behind a guy and <laughs> tapped the ball from behind. Tracked him down on yeah, a layup yeah, and yeah. smacked it off the yeah, board or yeah, something. Yeah. All right, I read this story and I thought this Levy ain't going out this way. An Australian woman accused of poisoning her ex-husband's family with death cap mushrooms oh, has been God. charged with murder. Oh, That's God. one way you're not going out. Oh, when I read that headline. Oh, I mean, my God. People are dead. I shouldn't be laughing. But after officials say her her deadly meal killed three of the four people who oh. ate it. Oh, yeah. She made a beef Wellington, which is a wildly complicated dish. I don't know why she would go to that much trouble. But she claims, look, I fed I ate that. I ate it myself. I fed it to my kids the next day. Turns out her kids told police that, well, her mom scraped the mushrooms off because they don't like mushrooms. I don't like mushrooms. She better scrape them off for me. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. She so three was arrested. people died? Where was this? Was in uh, Australia. Really? Three people died from her death cap mushroom dish. Oh, my God. Yeah, she she claims she, she was hospitalized after eating the dish, too. So we'll see. Yeah. She's being accused of murder. We'll see what happens. Suspended professional golfer speaks out, Hotshot Scott. Okay. Last week, I think I told you, the PGA Tour announced that two Corn Ferry Tour players, a guy by the name of Jake Steano and Vince India, were suspended for what? What did I tell you they were suspended for last week? Oh, I should have listened. How well did you, you listen? Sports gambling. You got it. Gambling and violating what they call the integrity program of the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour runs the minor league tour, the Corn Ferry Tour. Okay. They need to know that. Stiano made sure to own up to his decisions on a podcast and accept the consequences, but the details of what he got suspended for, Hotshot, are very interesting. Okay. Would you like to know what he did that got him suspended? Yes. He made four bets. Okay. That totaled $116.20. Oh, jeez. And those wagers happened more than two years ago. He hasn't bet since. 
They obviously a little bit of a far cry from someone who's trying to make legitimate money at betting at sports. Right. Here's what he bet. He bet on tw- he bet 25 bucks on Bryson DeChambeau early in the year in 2021 <laughs> and then he placed three other bets on the you know the match that they do Thanksgiving. It's an exhibition thing that Charles Barkley like is the yeah. is like the TV commentator. It's on TNT. They yep. call it the match. Well, there was a Bryson DeChambeau Brooks Kepka because they hated each other. They had a little match, a little exhibition match. He put three bets on that exhibition match, and they, he was found out and suspended for I think six months Jeez. of professional golf for that for one hundred and sixteen bucks, one hundred and sixteen dollars and twenty cents. Three of which were on an exhibition match, and he has not bet since. You he said has not bet since. Ugh. that's what he. That's what he was suspended. A little overkill, or do they have to just nip, I, I nip it know. all in the bud? What I would don't you know. Say? What do you think? I mean, I guess it's it's a slippery slope. Like if they just let that one go. But then what if someone did it for a thousand bucks and not life changing, but it's a little more. What do we let that one go? I mean, I guess you kind of have there to degrees s- of suspension, though. You took six months <sighs> away from the guy. I think it's six months. You told him you're not allowed to earn a living for six months over one hundred and sixteen dollars worth of bets. He can earn a I living. Mean, he just can't not playing golf with well, us. That's what he does. <laughs> OK, well, that's the only way he can't he can. earn a living. You well, oh, bad groceries at Safeway if you want. OK, but. you get suspended from your job yes. for one hundred and sixteen dollars worth of wagers. Yeah. Maybe a month, four tournaments, six weeks. Yeah. Six months. It's a lot. <laughs> How much time did Phil Mickelson spend sus- suspended for betting on sports? But he didn't bet on. We don't know that he bet on golf. Okay. We don't know that. You're right. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe all of this Phil talk. They're like, we're not playing anymore. We're not. If we hear of anyone. And the thing that's a little hypocritical about golf more than other sports. You know, when these guys go out and they play golf practice rounds together. Yeah. They bet. Oh, they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. All these guys, when they play practice, yeah, they have a NASA. When I go out and play, I put $2 on it. Whatever it is, play a little skins game, whatever. It is golf after all. You got to make it interesting. (laughs) This story made me laugh about a male police officer who entered a rowdy party to shut it down. And some of the women were convinced the cop was a stripper and started grinding all up against no, him. But he was a real cop. <laughs> he was a real cop. Oh, no. He came to shut the party down. Oh, like, oh, no. The stripper's here. Let's go. And they're twerking no. on him. And there's video of it rubbing all up against and him. He was, and did he have a humor about it well, or not? Because he's Australian, he had a good sense of humor about it. Why? He might all have Australians little, have a good sense of humor? He might have been a little more uptight in this country. Can I just, speaking of Australians, can I just real quickly just say, do you go to the movies or not? I, I Not as much as I. I would like to, but yes, we do. We love it. What's her name? The 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 pretty blonde from Australia that was married to Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman. Are you tired of that? I can't watch it anymore. <laughs> how much did they pay her to do? How long do I have to watch her? Yeah. Sitting there in the theater by herself. Like, yeah. Oh, it's art. Looking at art. Somebody oh. said, I think it may have been Jimmy Kimmel on one of the award shows or like the Oscars. He said, isn't it interesting that we've got Nicole Kidman trying to sell us to go to the movies? We're already there. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to sell me. We're there. Right. That should be running on TV. Yes. yes. Yeah. Where people are like watching it at home. And that Nicole, kind of I'm sitting right here. I'm already, yeah. You already got me. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So the Australian cop, what did I he do? I just thought it was funny. So he, he had a little smile on his face and he told him he was a real cop and yeah. the twerking stopped, but he ended up leaving and not busting up the party. But okay. that just made me laugh. I okay. thought for sure it was a stripper coming in, but okay. it wasn't. Okay. Uh, did you do uh, Halloween? W- where are you in Halloween with uh, Piper in ninth grade? Does she... She's, she? she's out. I mean, not out of Halloween. She's out of us hanging out with us. Oh, yeah. She went to friend a friend's house. But and... she's not she's not trick or treating. 
I don't think they did. I mean, yeah. I think they they walked around. Anybody come to the house? Oh yeah, I mean, I live in a neighborhood. Like, oh a, yeah. yeah. Do you hand out the candy, or the, your um, wife hand out the candy? It depends on who's home? closest to the door. My my yeah. wife went to a party, and I stayed home for a little while. Do you know the costumes, or do you not know? Are you out of the range now? No, I mean, I feel like they're pretty generic. I mean, I don't, I don't know the costume. <laughs> no one's going as blue face. Nobody went as bad bunny. <laughs> yeah, right. Nobody was a blue face. But but I did have marshmallow come to the door. I don't know. Do what you that know is. marshmallow? No. See, good. I'm glad you don't. Go on. Marshmallow apparently is like a DJ or a DJ rapper. He's got a big marshmallow head. Okay. Yeah, I so, feel yeah. old now because I have no idea what you're talking I about. I did not know. If you're not Spider-Man and you come to my house, <laughs> right. Spider-Man I got. Batman you might recognize potentially. I guess I should be living in Chesapeake, Virginia. Because the other thing that bothers me a little bit, I, I wouldn't say it bothers me, but I do I do rib the kids when the old ones come. You do. Do you have the old ones come to your house where they're like, they're clearly older than everybody else and they're not even dressed up. You're like, what are you? And you're like, I'm just a pedestrian. They're not in any kind of a costume. See, I don't have it in me to bust you, their balls like that. I, I want to get have rid of, those that come to oh, your yeah, house. Yeah, they're too old, but I, I'm looking to get rid of the but candy. It's one thing to be old and dressed up, but yeah. how about old and in just street clothes? Not that often that I can think of. Yeah, no. we had that. You did. And I bust their balls. <laughs> I don't have it in me to engage with people. Well, I'll say to them, like in a joking way, I'll say, when is it over? <laughs> really? What? what? They're going to crush their it, little fun. I say, they're a little fun. They're like 25 years old, these people. <laughs> I say, you know, don't you think it's time? Do you really? Yeah. Oh, see, I don't have that in me. You don't? No, I don't. I can't I can't do it. I just handful right in the back. Chesapeake, Virginia. When yeah. are kids too old to go trick-or-treating, Hotshot Scott? In some U.S. towns, believe it or not, are you ready? Yeah. It's illegal for teenagers to indulge in in halloween really chesapeake virginia until recently had a 1970s law on the books <laughs> threatening any teen caught trick-or-treating with up to six months in jail <laughs> the city changed the law after a massive backlash but there's a statue that still says the kids over 14 okay who trick-or-treat are guilty of a misdemeanor other towns have similar laws like Jacksonville, Illinois, Rain, Louisiana, both of which bar kids that are 13 and older from trick-or-treating. So there are still wow. in 2023 in Bellevue, Illinois, I'll have you know, yeah. a law on Halloween solicitation forbids anyone above eighth grade from going trick-or-treating. The city also requires anyone over 12 years old to get permission from the mayor or chief of police <laughs> if they want to wear a mask or disguise on days other than Halloween. Wow. Your Honor, I'd like to wear a mask on May 3rd, if that's okay, just <laughs> for a couple hours. I mean, why would anyone want to wear a mask on a day that's not That's out? the point. Well, yeah, I guess, right. That's the point. Yeah, I guess if you're going into a bank with yes, one on non-holidays, probably. That's the point. Wow. That's the point. Maybe you should live in one of these cockamamie small I towns. I guess I should. R.I.P.'s Bobby Knight, 83 years old, one of the greatest that ever did it, but a very complicated figure. How do we remember the man? We spoke to uh, Jason Hamilton in segment number two of our uh, interviews on this episode, 261. How do you remember Bobby Knight, Robert Montgomery Knight? Hot shot. Good for the game of college basketball. Yes. You sure? Even though he was grabbing kids and right. grabbing athletes by the neck in practice and, yeah. and having confrontations with students in the quad during the week. Hey, yeah. Knight. Yeah. You don't want to do that. But he's got a lot of players that defend him. A lot of, not just players. 
There are a lot of articles being written in the last 48, 72 hours from people like they're writing articles that you didn't know the real Bobby Knight because he never let you know the real Bobby Knight for whatever that means. I do know this, that in 1994, when he grabbed the microphone at Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, he said the following words. (laughs) When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down so my critics can kiss my ass. (laughs) That sounds about right for him. (laughs) Youngest coach, Division I school in 1965. He broke in at 24. He was the head coach of Army at 24. He made his mark, obviously, at Indiana. School record, 661 wins. NCAA tournament 24 times in 29 seasons. He won three national championships. He had an undefeated team. He had the 72 Dolphins in 76. That's right. He did. Yeah. The Indiana team in 1976. No other team has accomplished. That's the last one to do that, right? 902 victories in his career. By the way, in 1984, he coached the United States Olympic team. The last one that had the college players. To a gold medal in Los Angeles. Yeah. Ever since 84, you know what happened. They went to the NBA guys. Well, they went to the, the NBA team. guys in 92. Well, they did. But 88, they didn't they, win the gold. They got the bronze, I think, with uh, Danny, oh, okay. Danny Manning. Okay, so in 84, he was the last one to coach them to gold. All That's right. right, yes. But in 1984, Knight kept Steve Alford on the team. Yeah. His guard at Indiana. And he cut somebody pretty good. Charles Barkley and John Stockton. <laughs> They're out. <laughs> No need for those two on a team. <laughs> yeah, Barkley's talked about that plenty, how he could not believe he got cut by Bobby Knight off that team. Charles Barkley, <laughs> imagine. Uh, uh, Walter Davis, you remember Walter Davis, 69, or you're too young to remember Walter yeah, Davis? He was great. Oh, yeah, and, uh, he, was great. he was an all-star at the University of North Carolina in the NBA. He was on the Olympic gold medal team in 1976. He's the uncle of Hubert Davis. He passed away of natural causes. He was the NBA's Rookie of the Year in 1978 for the Phoenix Suns, five-time NBA All-Star, and his son's jersey is retired number six. And Frank Howard, 87 years old, a four-time All-Star, 382 home runs during a lengthy Major League career, included a World Series title with the Dodgers in 63, also played for the Washington Senators. He was the NL Rookie of the Year with the Dodgers in 1960. And helping them to win a World Series three years later, he was uh, with the Senators when they relocated to Texas Mm. and became the Rangers and finished his playing career with the Detroit Tigers. Frank Howard was 87 years old. A video shows a Chinese worker urinating into an enormous vat of Tsingtao beer. Not to worry, say company officials. They're simply trying out a new organic recipe. According to police, a Longview, Washington man allegedly tried to hire an escort for himself and his miniature horse. The man has been released from jail after he was able to pony up the bail money. Archaeologists discovered the remains of a woman buried next to her husband for 1,000 years. They can't figure out why her face and head were hollowed out. Really? Perplexed? You try laying next to your spouse for 1,000 years, you'll be begging someone to hollow out your head, too. (laughs) An Ohio judge has issued an arrest warrant for a woman. You went spouse. I see how you did that. (laughs) An Ohio judge has issued an arrest warrant for a woman accused of defecating on a church altar. Uh Uh-oh. Then removing the electronic tracking device from her leg and skipping town. This whole thing has turned into a real shit show. And finally, (laughs) scientists are reanimating dead spiders to create grippers or tiny machines used to pick up and put down delicate objects. Mm. 
Hey, using lifeless creatures to make products is our idea, said Apple. How about that? Reanimating spiders. Dead spiders. They hit them with something, some kind of adrenaline. And it shows their... Gr I don't know, just leave them alone. They're dead. Is that necessary? So you really don't think they're going to run the table, huh? <laughs> God, it'd be nice. I just... Utah this Saturday. I think I'm scarred by what I saw. I was just so irritated watching that game against USC. Utah this Saturday. Let's get a win. Let's see the Seahawks beat the Washington Commanders on Sunday at Lumen Field. And let's be talking on episode 262 about things that we enjoy talking about, all right? No more of these 37 to 3 whitewashings in the NFL. Yeah, no we more. don't we don't want We that. don't need that. What what about a, a tweet I got from a, a Husky fan? Uh, all due respect, Scotty. You don't know shit about ball. <laughs> Stick to making mixtapes. <laughs> I don't know how to better made a mixtape, maybe not in 40 years, but okay. <laughs> That's what I was dealing with on Saturday after coming after but I guess Husky Nation who just I root for them and you're going to come after me, dipshit. Any chance he's listening right now? I don't know. I don't know shit about ball, so well, I'll just I'll I'll stand down from the next discussion on the sport. Episode two hundred and sixty-one is in the books. <laughs>